This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Welcome Earnhardt in, Jr., Kirk Kerbstreet is on the phone. Yeah. Podcast is America. We the Air Tour Sports yeah. Podcast yeah. is Tuesday, November 17th, 2020. People, I hope everyone is having a great week, and I hope everybody enjoyed that bizarre uh, Monday episode in which I recorded a show. Then Will Muschamp got fired. Then I went back and recorded kind of a half a show to open the show, which was the new show, but the real show. Anyway, you get the point. Wild Monday preceded or followed, I should say, by a wild Tuesday, and here is why. I told you earlier this week, but the NBA draft is Wednesday, and listen, it has gone completely under-talked about, under-covered, under-reported, and we'll get into why in a minute, but the fact remains, the NBA draft is Wednesday, a big part of what we do is college hoops, and so this show will be an NBA draft-specific show. Here is what we are going to do. First, I'm going to open the show by just talking about some thoughts about the draft, the best players, uh, maybe tell some funny stories that I've kind of heard along the way, and then what we will do, the majority of this show will be interviews with some of the biggest names in the draft. Many of these interviews were recorded uh, in the springtime during the pandemic. And as I've told you, I know many of you were stuck at home. You were with the kids. You were with the wife. You were with the husband. You were with the girlfriend. You were with your aunt and uncle, whoever you were with during the pandemic. And you didn't have time to listen to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. And so because of it, with the NBA draft here, I am rerunning three interviews that I did, as well as a fourth one that I did earlier this week. So here is the rundown. We'll talk a little bit about the draft. Then we will get to an interview with Obi Toppin, National Player of the Year, one of my favorite interviews that I've ever done. Just an incredible kid. Uh, went from unrecruited, zero offers in high school to National Player of the Year. And I'll explain why I think he should actually be the number one pick in the draft. After that, SEC Player of the Year, Emmanuel quickly joins me. He talks about his incredible season at Kentucky. Following that, SEC Player of the Year runner-up, Mason Jones from Arkansas, another great kid. All three of them are great, honestly, with an incredible story. Mason Jones was at one point almost 300 pounds, wasn't playing sports at all. And he tells an incredible story about how he 
uh, basically chose to a new path for himself. So it's a really fun interview. We'll wrap with Jalen Harris, who played at the University of Nevada. Uh, I believe will be a second round pick, maybe even sneak into the first round. Uh, but yeah, four good interviews on this show. And of course, I will lead uh, with just some quick thoughts on the NBA draft. Thursday, we'll get back to football. We'll talk about the weekend ahead, recap the draft. And speaking of football, I got another great guest for you on Thursday. How about Hugh Freeze? Head coach, Liberty University, joins me uh, on Thursday's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I already interviewed him today. He was great. He was fun. He was transparent. Obviously, a weird time to catch him with the South Carolina job opening, but Hugh Freeze on Thursday's show in an interview that I really think you like. Four interviews today that I really think you like. And, of course, in the show recap, I'll put the timestamps so you can go ahead and kind of just find where, if you don't want to listen to all four, uh, you can pick and choose which ones you want. Before we get started, I remind you, very briefly, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you're subscribed to podcasts, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you are following on social media. At Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. So many great pictures, videos, all this great stuff uh, going up on that page. Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. And as I mentioned, uh, I am I have started, I should say, an email newsletter. Many of you have already su- signed up, but many of you have also asked, hey, Torres, where do I get all your content? Where do I get the podcast, the write-ups? Is there anywhere I can get it in one place? And the answer is yes. Go to my Twitter page at Aaron underscore Torres. I have a link to my email newsletter and you can uh, follow there and uh, get all my content. So that is the best place to find all my stuff. And now, before I get to the four interviews that I mentioned, let's very briefly get into the NBA draft itself. Uh, I didn't even get my patent in line, baby. There's no more time to waste. NBA draft, Wednesday. (laughs) All right, people, let's get into it for real. Um, Listen, NBA draft is Wednesday And this is, obviously, it goes without saying, I believe the most unique draft of my lifetime, right? This is always the NBA draft, kind of a weird, niche event. If you're not a diehard college hoops fan or you're not a big-time NBA fan, have a team that's really bad, obviously the NBA draft is not something that necessarily moves the needle in a good year. But this year, I mean, it's just unheard of how quiet it is in the lead-up to the draft, and it's obviously for a number of different reasons. We haven't had any competitive college basketball in March, and I, or since March, I should say, and the NCAA tournament was canceled where most fans uh, have a chance to get to know the players that are going to be in the next draft, right? How different is John Morant's career, the hype about John Morant, if he can't play in the NCAA tournament a year ago? Even R.J. Barrett, even guys like Zion Williamson were helped by the platform that the NCAA tournament provided. No NCAA tournament. Uh, the draft is four months behind schedule. And so you have a draft that is basically uh, very, very, very quiet, just not a ton of hype around it. But look, obviously, I'm a huge college hoops guy, have covered it for years. And so I'll just give you kind of my quick rundown of my thoughts on this draft. The first thing I would say, not to pour salt uh, uh, in the wound of this draft, it's one of the worst drafts I've ever seen. Uh, I don't know if it's 2013 bad, which was the year that Anthony uh, Bennett went number one overall, Victor Oladipo number two overall. That was a really, really, really bad draft. 
But this one uh, <laughs> has the potential to be just as bad. I think the guys at the top, I think there are two guys with superstar potential, but I also think there are two guys with major bust potential, maybe three of the top four players with major bust potential. And and those two guys are not the guys that you think. Uh, I am not as high on James Wiseman and Anthony Edwards as everybody else. And look, I'll get into it in a minute. Doesn't mean I don't think they have the potential to be good players, uh, valuable players, important players, players who make a lot of money throughout the course of their careers. At the same time, when you're drafting number one, when you're drafting in the top three, top five, in most circumstances, you're drafting for a guy that is a game changer, a franchise changer, and I don't believe those two guys are it. I do believe there are two guys that at least have the potential to get there, and so let's start with them. This is a positive vibes only kind of show, and the first one is LaMelo Ball. And look, if you're just out on LaMelo Ball, like I get it, right? Because I can't ever remember a kid coming into the NBA with more kind of off-the-court distractions and question marks and weird stuff than LaMelo. Some of it is self-inflicted, some of it isn't, some of it's out of his control, but you obviously, one, you have his family, right? LaVar, he was there, he's not there, he's quiet, he's been keeping to himself during this draft process, but you know LaVar is only one weird interview with TMZ or the Aaron Torres podcast or something bizarre uh, from making headlines and causing you a headache if you're LaMelo and if you're the team that picks him. Two, I do think Lonzo's a factor. I like Lonzo. I've known Lonzo since he was 16. I think he's a good guy. I don't know that he has been quite as bad as people make him out to be in the NBA, but he was also sold to us as the future face of the franchise with the Los Angeles Lakers. He has clearly not lived up to the hype, and if you want to say, well, LaMelo is his younger brother, they play kind of a similar style, uh, and Lonzo didn't live up to the hype, why should I believe his brother will? I get that too. There is LaMelo's weird background where he started high school in Chino Hills, uh, won a state championship with his two older brothers. Ironically, one of the starters on that team was actually Onyeka Kongwu, who is actually in this NBA draft and could be a top 10 pick out of UCLA. But after Chino Hills, he goes to Lithuania for a year. He comes back. He plays at Spire Academy. He goes to Australia for a year. Now he's back. And even in all of that, there were questions beyond just the weird path, right? He goes to Spire. It's kind of a high school that's not really a high school. And is he even eligible to play high school basketball? Uh, in Australia, he has good stats, but the team stinks. And there's questions about is everything being built around him and for him? And so, like, look, if you're just out on LaMelo, I get it. What I can also tell you, though, the kid is a hooper. And you can say whatever you want about the experience in Australia. And trust me, I crushed that league on this podcast a year ago. But LaMelo did still spend a year playing against grown men in Australia and largely held his own. If you haven't paid attention, and I forgive you if you're not paying attention to the National Basketball League in Australia, LaMelo in 12 games in that season before he got hurt and came home averaged 17 points eight rebounds and seven assists a game with two triple doubles. And this is against grown men. I mean, legitimate guys that played in the NBA. We're talking about good basketball players that play in this that league. Is it the NBA? No, but it's better than college basketball. And I love college basketball. And so I don't think we need to discredit what LaMelo did. I think we have to appreciate the fact that he was about as good as any teenager could have possibly been in that scenario. For comparison's sake, RJ Hampton, top 10 recruit coming out of high school, averaged eight points and two assists in that league and really struggled. LaMelo held his own. 
I also don't think the comps to Lonzo are completely fair. Uh, if you remember, David Grace, the former UCLA assistant coach, came on this podcast in the summer, and we talked a lot about LaMelo. He's known LaMelo since LaMelo was in seventh or eighth grade when Coach Grace started recruiting Lonzo to come to UCLA. And Coach Grace said, like, straight up, LaMelo's got some a-hole to him. He's got a chip on his shoulder. He's got a little bit more edge than Lonzo does. And it reflects a story that I'm about to tell. First time I saw LaMelo, he was about 13 years old in eighth grade playing with Lonzo and their older brothers in a summer event. And the kid was fearless, okay? Uh, it's kind of cool, honestly, to come full circle to see him as a 12, 13-year-old and now as the potential number one pick in the draft. But when I think back to that day, like I said, 12, 13 years old, fearless, driving in, getting fouled by kids that are 50, 60, 70 pounds heavier than him, hitting threes, doing all this stuff. And I'll tell you now, like, like I had college coaches tell me when he was still playing AAU as a eighth grader, ninth grader, that they had never seen anyone better at his age. And so I understand the downside, but I do believe that the upside is there where I kind of get it if you're in on LaMelo Ball, because I do still think he has the highest upside, but I also, like I said, understand if you are going to pass on him altogether because you're just afraid of the off-the-court stuff. I will say this, though. I talked to a lot of people over the course of the weekend. The consensus seems to be that LaMelo is going to go number one to Minnesota. We'll see if that happens. The other guy in this draft that I do want to talk about that I do believe is uh, the chance to be a franchise-changing player um, is a guy that's been on this podcast, is a guy that's going to come on after me, and that's Obi Toppin. And I'm not saying nice things about Obi Toppin because he came on the podcast because he did an interview, but first of all, just listen to the interview. Sounds like an adult, sounds like a grown man, yes sir, no sir, at the very least, he's going to come into your organization, cause no problems, have no trouble, be a good citizen, be a good role model, and just be a likable guy in the locker room. Beyond that though, the kid can hoop, and I think, I understand if you watched them last year at Dayton, and oh, it's Dayton, and what does it even mean? The kid's six foot nine, six ten, um, can uh, can crazy athlete, 39% from three, and kind of in this new era of basketball where big guys got to be able to shoot, he's a shooter, he's a slasher, he's a finisher, he's powerful, he's physically imposing at the college level, and I think it translates to the NBA level. Beyond that, and I do think this matters, and we'll get to why in a minute with Anthony Edwards, the guy was a winner in college, and like I know that like playing college basketball, it's not a be-all, end-all, and it, the, the, you know, the best players in college don't always and often don't make the best players in the NBA, but like I do think it matters that we never, ever, ever consider, like is a guy a winner, can he elevate teammates when we're talking about the NBA draft, right? Like I think back all the way to the Andrew Wiggins year where Andrew Wiggins just kind of floated through college basketball and like once every two or three games, you'd see him have some highlight dunk and you'd be like, oh my God, that kid is special. But if you really watch the games, there was never that one moment that you were like, oh my goodness, that is the there's that kid is can't miss. Like at some point, it can't just be about physical tools. You got to perform when it matters. You got to make shots when it matters. You got to elevate your team when it matters. And Obi Toppin did that for a whole year at Dayton. And the final thing with Obi Toppin, before we get to why I'm out on Anthony Edwards and James Wiseman, with Obi Toppin, I think the other thing that you absolutely have to consider is that I keep hearing this narrative of like, oh my goodness, 
He's he's too old. He's 22. There's no upside left at all. You always have to take the younger player because of upside. I'll just tell you this. I think that's complete crap. And I think the best thing that ever happened to Obi Toppin was John Morant having the season that he did last year in the NBA. And what I mean by that is I think that for all these years, there's been this narrative of you always have to take the younger guy with the higher upside. First of all, you think the Memphis Grizzlies regret taking John Morant over R.J. Barrett, even though John Morant was a year older? Because I don't think so. John Morant was the rookie of the year and is going to be a superstar. Heck, I think there's New Orleans Pelicans fans that are freaking out because they took Zion over John Morant. And we'll see how that all plays out. But I think John Morant just squashed this narrative that you have to always go younger. Beyond that, look at the NBA. Steph Curry, three years in college at Davidson. Dame Lillard, four years of college at Weber State. Draymond Green, four years of college. Klay Thompson, three years of college. James Harden, three years of college. Like this narrative that you always have to go with the younger guy, it's getting dispelled because the older players, the guys that are coming in later, are performing and are turning into stars as well. That was a narrative on Damian Lillard when he came in. Well, I mean, he's 22. I mean, how much better can he get? The answer's a lot. Have you watched Damian Lillard? He's incredible. And there's no reason it can't be Obi Toppin on top of the fact of this. How about this? The fact that even though he's 22, even though he's considered quote-unquote older than everybody else, um, there's another factor that we also have to consider, and that's this. He may be older in terms of years, but in terms of how he plays his body, his adjustment to the game of basketball, he's still pretty young. And what I mean by that is this. He is a kid that he is 22 years old, but as a junior in high school, he was six foot two. As a senior in high school, he was six foot five. He is now six foot nine, which means uh, I'm not great at math, but that's a seven inch growth spurt over the last five years. And so while he's older by calendar years, I think he's very much still developing into the player that he's going to be because he's only been playing as a six foot nine guy for two or three years now. That is why I'm in on Obi Top, and I'll just tell you the truth. It's not because he came on this podcast. It's not because he's going to join me here in about 15 minutes. I think he's the best player in the draft. I would take him number one overall. I really would. Now to the two guys that I'm, I'm a little bit out on. And being out on them is relatively speaking, right? But let's start with Anthony Edwards. And Anthony Edwards is kind of the opposite of Obi Toppin. He's everything that I said about Obi Toppin, only the exact opposite. It's like the, the Seinfeld episode, right? George does everything the opposite and everything works out. Well, that's kind of Anthony Edwards. Great physical tools, young, all that stuff, but he doesn't win. And I don't care how great your stats are if you don't impact wins and losses. And I will go to my grave believing that this matters. I still go back to the year Markel Fultz was at Washington and there just became this consensus that you had to take Markel Fultz number one. I said, I watched every Washington game. The kid made no impact. He would have 25 points and five assists, and 18 of those points would come when they were already down by 20. And two of those assists would come when they were down 20. And instead of losing by, by 26, they'd lose by 17. It didn't matter. He didn't impact games. And it's the same with Anthony Edwards. I think it's great that he averaged 19 a game at Georgia. They finished 13th out of 14 teams in the SEC, and only Vanderbilt was worse, and Vanderbilt's two best players got hurt. 
And so I think it's great that Anthony Edwards can fill up the stat sheet, and I do think Anthony Edwards will have value in the NBA. I just wouldn't take him number one overall. <laughs> I'll tell you a true story. The day after the NBA draft lottery, I was uh, asked to come on a radio show to do a quick interview about some of the top draft prospects. And somebody asked me, they're like, okay, tell us about this Anthony Edwards kid. I said, great scorer, bucket getter, all that stuff. I said, I think he'll be a good fourth, fifth player on a team, make a lot of money. And my buddy who was hosting the radio show, he goes, uh, when you say fourth, fifth best player, does that mean like next year? And I said, no, like I think that's his ceiling as a player. He's Lou Williams. He's somebody like that. He's a little quirky. He's a little different. He'll come off the bench. He'll be your fifth guy. He'll get buckets. He's not a player that you build your organization around, but it's the truth. And I think most people who have watched him throughout high school, watched him throughout his one year in college, agree. Never impacted winning. He's never won at the high school level, never won at the AAU level, never won at the college level. And I'm just saying, I think he's going to be a very good role player. I wouldn't take him number one, though. And I hope, I would hope that he goes to a situation where he doesn't have to be a star. Same with James Wiseman. James Wiseman has had a reputation since he was probably 15 or 16 years old that he doesn't love basketball, that he's tall and athletic and that he was born to play the game, but that he plays the game because he's tall and athletic and not because he loves the sport. And is it unfair? Is it fair? I don't know, but I can tell you there's plenty of examples in AAU where he'd go for 22 and 16 one night and the next night he'd go for four and six and be a complete non-factor. There were other games where he just got dominated by better big guys. There's a famous story of an AAU tournament that I was actually at, but I missed that day, where he went against Oscar Shibwe, who's now at West Virginia, and Oscar Shibwe just straight punked him. And that's really how Oscar Shibwe made his name was because he straight punked James Wiseman. And so I bring all this up just to say that I think James Wiseman will be a very valuable player in the NBA. Again, a big guy, a versatile guy. Uh, and I should buy, probably by the way, backtrack and say, um, like, I will say, like, like the Memphis thing, I don't know if it matters. I, like, like, what's the old saying? Like, it's not the, it's not the, it's not the illness, but it is a symptom of the illness. And, like, I don't know that him opting out of the season is, like, a huge deal. I get it. If you're just, like, one of those, like, uh, you know, like, like, if you just believe that, like, he got screwed by the NCAA, he shouldn't have had to sit out 13 games, it's Penny Hardaway's fault, it's his mom's fault, I can't argue with that. But I also know a lot of guys that would have taken the medicine and wanted to finish out the season, and he booked it the first chance that he got. And so I bring all this up very simply to say, um, that, like I said, I don't think it's the virus, but I think it's a cause. I think it's a symptom. I think it's a whatever. And I do think that's a factor. And I do think it has played into the fact that many people are questioning if he really loves the sport of basketball. Now, I would say, very briefly, there is one net positive to all this, which is that I do think that if LaMelo goes number one overall, it actually works out very nicely where there are some nice landing spots for both James Wiseman and Anthony Edwards. Because if, if LaMelo goes number one overall, it seems obvious that James Wiseman would very likely go number two overall to the Golden State Warriors, who need a big guy, and he would go to a good situation where he's playing with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. They don't need him to be a star. He can learn how to be a professional. He can learn how to handle himself in a pro environment. I think that's actually really good for James Wiseman. Anthony Edwards then, in theory, would go number three to Charlotte, where they have a nice young core. Uh, Devontae Graham, P.J. Washington, friend of the Aaron Torres podcast, by the way, P.J. Washington. 
Um, who's the other one? Who's the other one? Who's the other one? Oh, Miles Bridges. And so, like, I do think that, to me, it will work out nicely for them if the draft breaks that way. I just wouldn't want the Timberwolves to draft either one of those guys, number one, and expect them to be the face of the franchise. Uh, really quick, because I want to get to these interviews, just a couple other thoughts on this draft. And the only other real one is that I would rather – it's not just those top four guys, um, but I would also say like the back half of the lottery is like weirdly not good. And so to me, I would rather actually be picking like in the 15 to 30 range where I can get a guy who does one thing, plays a role, kind of a Grant Williams type from years past – then having to pick 8, 9, 10, where you have guys like uh, Isaac Okoro, Devin Vassell from Florida State, uh, Patrick Williams from Florida State. Those are all like nice players, but one, they're not going to be ready to compete next year. And remember, when you're drafting in the back half of the lottery, you're not that far from the playoffs. And in theory, you would hope that those guys would be able to contribute. Those guys aren't. Um, so I'm just out on the back half of the lottery. I don't think any of those guys are difference makers. I was joking with somebody the other day. I was like, tell me your favorite Isaac Okoro moment from his time at Auburn. What does it exist? And it's not a knock on the kid. It's just a reality. But I would rather be picking in that like 18 to 20 range where you can get a Precious Achua from Memphis, a Sadiq Bay from Villanova. I think uh, Mason Jones, friend of the show, will have some real value as a scorer. I think Emmanuel Quickly, a guy that can play on and off the ball, shot 44% from three, is going to have real value for this team. Um, but yeah, but yeah, so to me, that's the story of this draft. The top four guys are interesting, but if I was a team selecting, I would rather be like in that 15 to, to 30 range than I would be in like the 3 to 15 range unless I could get Obi Toppin. All right, I think that's it for this segment. This episode is going to go really, really, really long with all these interviews, so I want to get out of here. That's my kind of quick NBA draft thought. And like I said, I'll be back on Thursday's show recapping the draft, talking about it all, and just some thoughts in general from the draft as well as some college football uh, before I get out of here, one, I want to remind you, make sure that you're subscribed to the show. iTunes, the Podcast Addict app. Uh, if you have an Android, Podcast Addict app is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you're subscribed. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. As mentioned, make sure you're following on Twitter, at Aaron underscore Torres. Make sure you're following on Insta, at Aaron Torres Pod. Uh, and like I said, email newsletter, it's attached to my Twitter feed, at Aaron uh, underscore Torres. Uh, and now let's get to some interviews. So like I said, uh, just quick kind of reminder, most of these interviews, the three interviews at the top, Obi Toppin, Emmanuel Quickly, and Mason Jones, were done in the spring. So keep that in mind. We talk a lot about the college season. Uh, you know, there's references to I hope your family's doing safe in the pandemic. This was when a lot of guys were stuck at home, all that stuff. So contextualize that most of these interviews were done in April and early May. Uh, but Obi Toppin coming up from Dayton in Emmanuel quickly from Kentucky, Mason Jones from Arkansas. Then I will wrap with Jalen Harris, who is a player that you need to know uh, from Nevada, who I think can have a really, really, really productive career as a role player and as a scorer. But that is all for today's show. Uh, shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Uh, Hugh Freeze on Thursday, by the way. But now 
Here is your official Aaron Torres podcast NBA draft preview, starting with an interview with Obi Toppin. By the way, they will just transition from one to the other to the other. It's not going to be me coming back saying, and now Emmanuel quickly, and now this, and now that. So uh, first up, here is National Player of the Year, Obi Toppin from Dayton. All right, and joining me on the phone now, I am very excited to have this guest on. He is a consensus All-American Atlantic 10 Player of the Year, and he is up for the Malone Award, which will be announced on Tuesday, SportsCenter ESPN, noon Eastern, a guy that I absolutely loved watching in college basketball this year. Obi Toppin is on the phone. My man, how you doing? I'm good. How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you coming on. First and foremost, I would just ask, you know, I mean, I know uh, you've probably been getting this question a lot lately, but how are you, your family, how's everybody holding up? I mean, I know you're originally from New York. I know we're based out of New York. It's kind of a scary time. How are you and your family holding up? Uh, everything is going good over here. Um, right now, I'm in Jersey in a house with me and my brother and my girlfriend. Huh. Uh, we're, we're here just is quarantine and uh we have a gym there us where me and my me and my brother are going in and getting some one-on-one time and just working on things we need to work on to to help us so uh like we're, we're doing fine over here uh the family's doing good so that is the first and most important thing. Really quick, I mentioned uh, you are, in fact, up for the Malone Award, uh, nation's top power forward. You've been named a national player of the year by other outlets, All-American, all the stuff that I mentioned. Just real quick, you know, I mean, your story we'll get into in a minute, but, I mean, you were a guy that coming out of high school, you didn't have a lot of the hype of some of the guys that you'll be competing with in the NBA draft. I mean, how surreal has even just this last year been? You had a ton of success in your redshirt freshman year, but to to go from a year ago where you're testing the draft waters, all that stuff, to where you are now, national player of the year, you know, Dayton had a historic season. I mean, how surreal has the last year been for you? Uh, it, it's definitely been, been like, a, a dream for me. Uh, like, none of this feels, feels real, but uh, it, it, it's been amazing this whole season. Uh, my teammates and my coaches push me every single day to be the person and player that I am. And, like, without those guys, I wouldn't be, uh, like, either the personal player that I am. So, like, I get thanks and credit to uh, all those guys. Um, number one, like, I, I really like to thank Jalen and Trey mm-hmm. because those guys, like, they, they push me the most. And uh, Jalen being my roommate and being my my closest brother, he, he he's definitely on my, on my rear end all the time uh, trying to help me get better, so. Um, like I get thanks for him all the time, and I, I love all the, all of them. For people who don't know, Jalen Crutcher and Trey Landers, two uh, two of your teammates at Dayton. Uh, you know, Obi, I mentioned a minute ago, but you had kind of a surreal story. And for people who don't, who aren't familiar with your background, they're going to get familiar over these next couple months as we get ready for the yeah. NBA draft. But can you take us through kind of your journey? Because you were a guy. For people who don't know. Um, you know, I, I believe you were about six four when you were a junior in high school. No Division yeah. One offers coming out of your senior year. Just take us through your journey because it's an incredible story. It's been incredible to watch from a distance. Yeah, so uh, like you said, junior year I was six four. Uh, I was I was mostly a point guard or shooting guard. Um, I didn't get a lot of playing time my junior year because I just moved from Florida to New York, 
and they kind of already had a set team already when I got to Austin in high school. So I, I didn't get a lot of playing time. There were there were games that I didn't even play. But then um, that summer went by. Uh, I was playing games in the, in the city park, uh, like Rucker Park, Dykeman, Hoops in the Sun, all those type of parks. And when I when I went back to my senior year, I was around like six five, six six ish, and I I just started dunking. Like I caught my first dunk probably in my first game in my senior year of high school, and uh, I, I went through that year averaging about twenty twenty one points, eight rebounds, and, and like four assists. But us being in the Hudson Valley, it didn't it didn't have a lot of college coaches coming through there so it was hard for me to get looks from college coaches so I was going to end up signing to a JUCO uh, Monroe College but when I went from, when I was about to sign to Monroe College my uncle Victor Moneros he he said that he was going to put me into a prep school so that I don't have to waste any years going to a JUCO school so I went to a prep school for a year when I got there I think I averaged around 16 to 18 points, um, eight eight rebounds again, and like three or four assists. And after after prep school year, so many schools started to offer me Dayton being one of them. And when I got to Dayton, it was just the community, uh, the fans, um, the coaches, the players. Every everybody was just so welcoming, and it felt like home when I went on my visit there. So that's why I committed. So. Um, and I've read stories where as soon as you got off the plane in the airport, like people were asking for selfies, right? In Dayton. Yeah, I was, I was taking pictures with, with <laughs> fans already as if I already tried to go there. So. That's a pretty good indication of how crazy those fans are. Um, you know, one thing that I found really interesting uh, is even when you get to Dayton, you did have to sit out for a year. And listen, you know, I, yeah. I understand, listen, everybody wants to play all that stuff. Um, but you know, you look at a guy, Malachi Flynn, who was an all American this year, had to sit out last year as a transfer. You sat out, uh, your first year at Dayton. Do you think that that year helped? I mean, I know you would have loved to play, but do you, uh, do you think it would have helped? Do you think it did help you, uh, to sit out that year? Yes, most definitely. Uh, the way I looked at it, uh, coming into Dayton, coach told me there was a chance I would have to sit, sit out a year because of, uh, academic reasons from high school. So I understood that, and I was like, "All right, if I have to sit out, I'm gonna I'm gonna take it as I get another cheat year to get better." Mm-hmm. And um, everybody in my family and everybody uh, who like all my teammates and other coaches were so supportive and like so like they helped me with the process. So when I was when I was sitting out, uh, I was doing extra time in the gym, extra time in the in the weight room, uh, other than when I was with the team. So that I can like get better and do more to to help myself for next year. Um, sitting now, I, I was able to to watch the other teams in our conference and other teams that uh, Dayton was playing against, and I got a feel of what what it will be like when I get on the court. So me being able to practice with the guys and like getting a feel of kind of the the tempo I need to get used to and the the speed I gotta get used to. It was just, it was just help. It was helping me for the for my sophomore year of college. Yeah, and that's what I took it. I took it as another year of uh, 
uh, to get better. Well, and that's what I was going to say is I've talked to other players that say that not only do you get physically better, but mentally you get sharper because you can watch the game from a different angle. Is that something that definitely. you kind of noticed? Yeah. Yep, definitely. Very good. Sophomore year, which was really your redshirt freshman year, you absolutely blow up. Um, and you actually entered the NBA draft last year, and I would just be curious. Yes, yeah, what did you what did you learn from that experience? Because it, it was uh, obviously you were a kid that maybe could have gotten drafted last year, um, but uh -huh. you you decide to come back. You go through the process. You have workouts. What did you learn from that experience? Um, going to those workouts, uh, I, I worked out with five teams, uh, five NBA teams. And going into the workouts, I kind of knew that I, I had a feel that I was going to come back to school, mm -hmm. but I wanted to get a taste of what it's like at the next level. Sure. Also, I knew that going to the workouts, uh, the coaches and the assistant coaches were going to give me um, feedback on, on things I would, I would need to work on to, to help me for next year's draft so or that can help me for the next season, uh, which was my, my redshirt sophomore season. And um, when when I got all the feedback right away during the summer, I was I was working out uh, all, all the stuff that they said I needed to work on. So as soon as the season came, it was like boom. Uh, they told me I need to uh, have better shot consistency. I I need to make sure my percentages are good. Uh, they said I need to get more rebounds. I need to make sure I get eight to ten rebounds uh, a game. So it was just it was different things that I needed to work on that that the NBA team said, and that's what I did. Could you feel yourself getting better over last summer? Because it was obviously a monumental leap that you made this year. Uh, definitely, just because uh, the, my teammates were were saying that they could see it. So when they when they were telling me they could see it, and they they were saying it was easy, it was starting to get easier playing with me because. The game started to slow down for me, and when I caught the ball, like I'll, I'll always look and not just rush to to try and do something. I'll, I'll take my time. I'll see if there's a man open. If not, like I'm gonna start backing my man down and doing things to like help my team win, and not it wasn't only for me. So I feel like going through the process it helped me uh, slow my game down so that I can I can make better reads. So when you decided to come back, I found this quote from your mom who was interviewed about the, the process, and she said, I hope he makes the right choice and goes back to school. He has grown so much this year, but he still has a little more growth to do. He has a lot more game that is going to come out, and when you think about the team they're going to have next year, it's going to be something. He'll grow even more on the court and off, and I think this is the perfect place to do it. I mean, can your mom, does she have a crystal ball or what, man? What? That is incredible. Oh, oh no, but it's like she knew. It's like she knew uh, that if I go back to school, it would be better for me. But it, it, it showed, like, uh, when I when I got back to school, everything started to click for myself and the team, and everybody was just bought into what the coaches were asking, and we just had a tremendous uh, season, and it was, it was amazing. And when did you know? I mean, you know, you go through summer workouts. You feel like you're getting better. Your teammates are telling you. When did you know things are different for the Dayton Flyers? We have a chance to do something real special this year. Honestly, when I found out was when we had our first conditioning and on-court workout okay. uh, during the summer. Um, the amount of focus and grit that everybody had uh, doing the workout and doing the conditioning 
it was just, it was amazing. Like, everybody knew that, oh, this could be a special year if we put it in work. Um, so, like, when we was on the court, uh, coaches drawing up plays, and everybody's just eyes, eyes on coach, eyes on the board. And it's just, it was, it was amazing seeing all, like, the amount of focus that everybody had uh, from the jump. And I knew from there it was just it was just going to be a, a scary season. Well, and I was going to say, what about Maui? I mean, Maui seemed like the jumping yes, off point yeah. for you guys. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, my man. That's definitely Maui. I was going to uh, talk about that when we got to Maui. It was just it was ridiculous how how, how focused we were. Um, first game, Georgia. Uh, I remember sitting in the media timeout, and I think we just went on like a. 11 to 12 old run. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're sitting there and we're just, I'm looking and everybody is just focused. Like, no, like the crowd was going crazy because we have amazing fans. But even the people who were sitting out down to the walk ons, everybody was just huddled up, looking at the board, looking at coach, listening closely to, to what we had to have to do to continue to, uh, to dominate. And it was, it was amazing seeing that all the way up to the Kansas game. And after, even though we lost the Kansas game, we came out of there knowing that we can be a really special team. And it, it showed for the rest of the season. Well, and that's what I was exactly what I was going to ask, is Kansas at the time, we didn't know that they, like you guys, would go on to this incredible season. But it is still a, a power conference school. It is one of the best programs year in and year out. Yes. Uh, even though you lost and it was in overtime, did that give you guys confidence going into you know the rest of the season? Yes, definitely. Kansas being the number one team in the country and being being known like they they have history. Uh, playing against Kansas, playing against Bill Self, uh, it, it was just like we we knew that if we can if we can take Kansas to the to the neck and and uh, play them in overtime in Maui, it, it was going to be a special season. Just because not a lot of people play Kansas and and play them how we play them. Uh, they, they, like, I talk to a lot of Kansas players all the time, and they say, like, we, we were one of the hardest teams they played this year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, from a Kansas player, a Kansas coach saying that, it, it really means a lot. Like, we put in a lot of work to, to deserve what we did this season, and, uh, it was amazing. So I want to talk about the end of the season in a minute. Uh, anything else from the the regular season, and we'll get to the A10 tournament and how everything ended. But anything else that really stands out? I mean, you guys were just such a fun team, night in, night out. Yep. That was the thing that kind of stood out to me as just an outside observer was you guys brought it every single night, and I don't think people yes, appreciate how hard it is for a group of guys 18 to 21 years old. But but I mean, when you look back outside yep. of the ending, what stands out from the regular season? Uh, first of all, it, it's definitely not easy winning. Uh, you definitely got to put in the work. But uh, what stood out to me was like we had re- two really good leaders. Uh, first of all, everybody on our team was a leader. So um, don't don't get me wrong when I say our leaders, but like Trey and uh, Ryan definitely had the main voices on the team. Those two guys led our team to to every single win and. They're basically our glue guys. Without those guys on the floor, I don't, I don't think we'll accomplish anything that we accomplished this season just because those guys do the dirty work. Uh, uh, Brian being a plus-minus guy, his, 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 his mindset is set to, 
I always have to be in the plus. I can never be a minus. So he's going to make sure he never turns the ball over. Um, he, he always gets assists. He always gets uh, a point. Like He's going to make sure our team is doing the right thing uh, always. And Trey, he's just the bulldog of our team. Like He's always... Uh, he, he he's always doing the dirty work, uh, whether that's diving diving on the floor for a loose ball or even getting uh like rebounds that we really need down down in the stretch. So it's like those those two guys right there. I gotta give uh, a lot of credit to those two because without them, we wouldn't be the team that we are. What was the the end of the season like? Because for people who don't know, you guys were one of the few teams. You didn't open your conference tournament until Friday, so. It yeah. wasn't as though you were getting ready to play and you were pulled off the court or you had played the night before. You guys were one of the yeah. few teams that kind of watched it from a distance. Take us through that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday uh, as the season, unfortunately, and it was unfortunate for a lot of teams, but did come to an end. Yeah, so uh, so we practiced uh, Monday, Tuesday, and got on the plane Wednesday. And we we knew that we, we were going to practice on Thursday at, at the uh, – we were going to practice Thursday and, and like, know the team that we were going to play. It was either going to be U, UMass or BCU. And we was in the hotel the night before, and we're just sitting there, like, uh, we seeing all these tweets coming out that uh, there's tournaments getting canceled, and we're praying that ours don't get canceled. Mm-hmm. And uh, Wednesday night, when when coach called for a meeting, we we kind of knew what it was, and he had, he had tears in his eyes. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we all seen that, we we knew that it was over, and it it was just crazy how everybody in the in the in the room just went silent, and it was it was crazy. And coach just said, uh, "We gotta get on the plane uh, Thursday Thursday afternoon and head back to Dayton. Uh, the season's over." And once he said that, it was just like. Wow, all all the things that we did this year, and they just want to end it like that. So it was just, it, it was definitely a, a heartbreak. Uh, but things happen, and we just got to be grateful for what we accomplished this year. So, well, and that's what I was going to say. What was his message? Was it simply be proud of what? What What was the message that he delivered to you guys? Uh, the message that he told us was basically like he he's super proud of us. Uh, from day one, he knew how special we can be. Uh, he loves every single one of us. He, he he wants nothing but the best from every single one of us. And we we just all gathered in a circle, and we do this thing uh, that at the end of practice or games or anything, we say, let us be grateful while we're holding hands in a circle. And we just all say what we're grateful for. Oh. And at the end of the day, we was, we was all in tears, but... We, we said what we were grateful for, and we had to say our goodbyes and basically go go our separate ways because they started and they ended up uh, shutting schools down, and nobody can be on campus. So from there, it was just it was crazy how everything was going. Yeah, I know everybody says you know there are bigger things, and there are, and we all understand the severity of what's yeah. going on. But how disappointing yeah. how disappointing is it for you that that group, your brothers, like you said that you guys didn't get that chance to compete for a championship, not because you would have won or because a lo- you would have lost, but because we'll never right. know the right the actual outcome? Uh, it, it was definitely disappointing just because I know, like, everybody on our team dreams of playing in the tournament. Um, playing in the tournament is, is like you don't get those chances a lot. And definitely being in the eighth end, do, it, doing what we accomplished this year, like, 
not not a lot of teams can say that they went into their conference and went undefeated mm-hmm. and and dominated a conference like that. Uh, us doing what we did this year, uh, going undefeated, uh, taking Kansas down to the stretch, Colorado down to the stretch, losing to them in overtime, and, and just beating every team, like dominating every single game, like. Where we we knew that we was a really special team, and for it to end the way that it ended, it was, it was definitely upsetting. But like Jalen, Trey, Ryan, like especially Trey and Ryan, just because it was their senior year, like I knew I knew it was hard for them the most, just because like it was their senior year and it was their year to to prove to everybody that they they deserve to be in the talk with everybody else and uh for for it to end like that we we had something to prove when we got to the tournament and for it to end like that it, it was bad but we still got to be grateful yeah well and that was what I was going to ask you is there was so much talk throughout the season this team plays in the A10 that team uh you know uh, they won 30 games but quote unquote who did they beat what would you say to a fan of another school that said yeah Dayton they had a nice season they they couldn't have won the tournament what would you say to that fan can you say that again I'm sorry I didn't hear that no I just said you mentioned that um you guys had this incredible season um but yes. there were doubters and you had a lot to prove and so what I was asking was what would you say to the fan of another school that says well they had a nice year but they couldn't have really won the championship what would you say to that fan oh uh. Honestly, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even say anything, just because, like, I knew the team that we were. Like, we we don't have to. We don't have to explain to someone who, like, who's a fan. You know what I yeah. mean? Uh, fan, fans always talk, whether it's our fans or another fan. Like, fans sure. are going to be fans. But inside of the basketball lines, like, other teams knew that how dangerous we were and how special of a team we were. Coaches were talking about us. Uh, players were talking about us. A lot of media was talking about us. So, like, for a fan to, to say something, like, we we don't really encourage or, or pay attention to what what a lot of fans say just because, like, fans are going to be fans, like, whether it's our fans or, or other people's fans. So we, we we just knew the team that we were, and we we proved a lot, and uh, we, we get to prove in the tournament, but... Uh, we've proved a lot before then. Fan is short for fanatic. And so, uh, yes, like you said, uh, fans will say anything. Um, real quick, a couple quick questions, we'll let you go. How is the draft prep process going? Just because it's such a surreal time. Like you said, uh, you can't be in the gym with more than you know your brother. But but what are you actually doing to, to, to prep for the draft? And have you heard anything about what this process may look like? Because there's so many people that are kind of asking so many questions right now. Uh-huh. So I haven't heard about anything uh, uh, about the draft stuff, but I'm just I'm working with my agency. Uh, I just signed with an agency, CAA Sports, and um, they're they're giving me workouts that I can do. I have a gym near me, and they're giving me things that I can work on to get better weight weight wise and uh, skill wise on the court. So um, they they're giving me workouts. They're giving me uh uh enough thing to, to help me for when the time comes for me to get back on the court, I'll be ready. So um so that's how that's how I'm spending my days uh every single day from now on. And how you know, have you had the chance I, I would assume yet you probably outside of the teams that you met with last year, you probably ha- don't have a ton of correspondence with 
NBA personnel. Is there anything that when you you did this last year and you use this opportunity to your advantage, um, what are you hoping to impress upon people? Because I think there is a realistic shot, as crazy as it sounds, that you might end up being the number one pick in this draft, my man. So, uh, yeah, you're asking, like, what, what am I thinking about it? Yeah, just when you do get the chance to, whether it's FaceTime, uh, Skype, whatever, with a front office, or if you, you know, God willing, get the chance to work out for these teams in a gym, uh, what are you hoping yeah. to show them? Uh, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really going into workouts just being myself, mm-hmm. uh, being the person and, and player that I am. I feel like that, that, that shows a lot. Uh, I'm a very respectful person and joyful person, and my personality can can help me go a long way. And like what what happens on the court is like I'm just I'm just gonna be the player that I am. Like I'm never gonna do something that is out of character. Like I know what I'm good at, and I know the things that I'm not good at. So I'm not gonna put myself in situations to 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 do bad. So. I'm always gonna do what's gonna help me, and the people around me are gonna do or is gonna help me with that. So, does seeing somebody like John Morant, who had a unique path in his own right, and the success that he had in the NBA, does that help you or make you feel at ease at all? That you know, I'm gonna be okay. I'm gonna be able to handle this. Ja went through something similar last year, smaller school, and he's having a ton of success. Uh yeah, definitely. John Moran is an amazing player. Uh, in in college, he was also an amazing player. Um, myself, like, uh, I I feel like if I if I like have the same mentality that uh John had, I'm I'm gonna go into the NBA perfectly fine. I have to I have to go in there and and start a whole new life again. Uh, just like I was a freshman in high school, freshman in college, and now basically I'm a freshman in the NBA. So I gotta go in there, uh, willing to learn, willing to get better, and, and willing to do whatever I can to help whatever team I play for win. And so um, that that's the that's the mindset that I need to go in, in into this uh, league. And I feel like wherever I go, uh, I'm gonna have to help with that. So. Absolute last question. I'll let you go. And I so appreciate the time. Remember, Obi Toppin up for the Carl Malone Award, which is going to be announced Tuesday on SportsCenter. Pretend I'm an NBA GM. Explain to me why, and this is no disrespect to any of the other players that you're competing with, explain to me why you believe Obi Toppin should be the number one pick in the 2020 NBA draft. I just feel like, uh, I put in, I put in a lot of work this this season uh, with myself and the team to to accomplish what we accomplished. Uh, me being on a team that that was in the A ten and going going to be number three in the country uh, that proves a lot. Uh, uh, helping a team or leading a team to doing what we did this season like is a lot. And uh, a team from the A10 don't doesn't always get a lot of credit, and bringing a lot of credit to the A10 was was really good. But I have to I have to get credit to my teammates also because without them I wouldn't do anything. So I give credit to them too. But uh, having having all that uh, all that is, is amazing. Uh, helping the team uh, go undefeated in, in the in the not or in our conference is also another uh, good pointer. So I, I just feel like with with what I did this season, with what my team did this season, 
uh, Oscar and I deserve that award. He is uh, up for the Carmelone Award for the best power forward in college basketball, as well as the Wooden Award for the nation's player of the year, consensus All-American, Obi Toppin. Dude, it was a pleasure not only speaking with you, but watching yes, you man. all season long, man. And, and you know, I, I sincerely mean I wish you the best at the next level, but best of luck. Yes, and you left a lot of great memories, not only for Dayton fans, but for those of us that got to watch you guys all season long. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me. All right, and joining me on the phone now, very excited to have this guest. He is the SEC Player of the Year. Uh, he made my All-American list. Emmanuel Quickly, former University of Kentucky Wildcat, future NBA stars on the phone. My man, what's going on? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really well, Emmanuel. I'm doing really well. First of all, uh, I give you props, man, because uh, I, I we've been trying to set up this call and, you know, there's this narrative that as soon as you declare for the draft, you get ready, you go to some gym, and you work out 24 hours a day. You were still doing schoolwork, my man. So how is uh, this uh, quarantine world that you're living in? I know you've been crushing it on 2K. I found that on Google. Uh, but outside of 2K, uh, what have you been doing? How you been passing the time in kind of these crazy times? Um, honestly, been a lot of time with my family. Um, reading, reading my Bible, uh, working out just at home. You know, we we can't get in, in gyms and stuff like that, playing pickup. So uh, there's been a lot of conditioning at home, uh, push-ups, workouts from home and stuff like that. So. Well, and I was going to say, too, when you say conditioning from home, is that exactly what you said, like sprints in the street, uh, push-ups, sit-ups, things like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, just running around the block. we got a couple of <laughs> hills around here that I can run. So just trying to stay in shape. Uh, just trying to stay in the shape that I was in during the season, so you not know, to stay on top of all that. Very good. Uh, we'll get into kind of the draft process and all, everything that goes around uh, that in a minute. I did quickly want to go back to, um, you know, what uh, really your time even before Kentucky. I don't know if people would remember this, but right when I started this podcast, you and I did speak, and, um, you know, I think what people forget is it's crazy how far that you've come, uh, you know, even with this program. You played for Coach Cal in Egypt with Team USA many years ago, um, and you originally committed as a point guard. You were the first player who committed in the class of 2018, I guess it was. Uh, eventually, Keldon Johnson, Tyler Hero, Ashton Hagens, EJ Montgomery uh, joined you in that recruiting class. When you look back to the day that you either met Coach Cal, you played for Coach Cal, or even the day you committed to Kentucky, I mean, how surreal is your path? Because, again, it hasn't been a linear thing. It's taken bumps and you know turns along the way. But here you are now as an SEC Player of the Year and a guy that's going to make a lot of money playing basketball here in a few months. Man, it's been great. Uh, I'm glory to God, but a lot of hard work, man. It's, like you said, it hasn't always been easy. Uh, there's been a lot of days, you know, where you, you know you, you kind of want to almost give up. It's been mm -hmm. hard, uh, but you know it, it all turned it all turned good. Ended up winning SEC Player of the Year. Ended up having a lot of team success as well. So. Um, it was just, you know, coming to Kentucky was, was what I always call one of the best decisions of my life and that I, I'll always be able to have this that I, this, uh, I guess like, uh, saw in my mind that I overcame something that a lot of people didn't think I could do and I'll be able to take that with me, uh, you know, as my journey goes on. So that's really interesting because we all saw this year your success, SEC Player of the Year, all those 20-point games. 
Um, but you said in, in passing there, you know, there were days that you wanted to give up, that you wanted to, to that, that maybe this wasn't the path for you. I mean, in those dark moments, and it's something that's interesting, I had Mason Jones on, another great player from the SEC a few days ago, and he and I talked about kind of the similar thing in his career, but what, what advice would you give to somebody, a young kid listening that's struggling, uh, playing basketball, playing football, school's not going well, uh, because somebody like you, I think, is a great example of things don't always go perfectly, but you can get to that end goal. Uh, what would you say to somebody like that? I tell them it's always light at the end of the tunnel as, as long as they keep working hard. You know, um, if you don't work, you don't you don't eat. So uh, as long as you keep working, you get better each and every day. Uh, whatever they're doing, it doesn't even have to be basketball. But as long as you keep working and get better just a little bit uh, each and every day, 1% better, you'll eventually, you know, get closer to 100%. And I was thinking back earlier today to, to your freshman season, uh, it didn't go as planned, which you know we've kind of already touched on here. But I was just thinking about even in that first season, I have to feel like there are learning lessons in in a process. I mean, you were a guy that talking to people close to you, um, you know, you had a ton of success in high school, but it wasn't necessarily quote unquote always easy for you in high school. And the same in that first year in college. Um, what did you learn uh, with the struggles, and what did you learn from guys like PJ Washington, Reed Travis, some of the older guys in that freshman season for you at Kentucky? Um, I think I, I think I learned a lot uh, from PJ and and Reed and those guys. They were they were like I don't know. They were kind of like coaches on the floor almost. You know, they were that kind of solid rock for us. Uh, when games were tough, you could always look in their face and you know just be kind of calm by by demeanor. So you know, I kind of took that with me into my uh, second year at Kentucky and my high school freshman year and sophomore years were like just like college. My freshman year in high school, I kind of struggled a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Actually came off the bench as a freshman in high school, and then ended up winning the player of the year in my league as a sophomore. So that kind of translated to my college years, and, and that kind of gave me a little bit of confidence too, just to stick stick with it and keep working hard. So basically, because you had lived through it once, you felt like I can do this again, just at a higher level. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. What about the, um, you know, you talked about the idea of P.J. Reed, guys like that being coaches on the floor. I mean, maybe nobody except for you and those closest to you thought that you were capable of having the season that you did, but was that a role that you wanted to take on coming into this season? Hey, obviously, I want, I want to be more productive, but regardless, I do need to be a leader on what is still kind of a pretty young team coming into this past season. Uh, yeah, I felt like coming into my second year, I kind of had an advantage. Um, I knew what the coaches expected. I knew what practice was going to be like. I knew what everything was going to be like. So really coming into my second year, I knew what I had to work on in the offseason. I knew what I had to get better at if I wanted to be on the floor, um, which was basically every part of it, every aspect of my game. Defense gets you on the floor, Kentucky. Uh, if you make shots, that gets you on the floor. Uh, talking, um, toughness gets you on the floor, Kentucky. Uh, so really I just, you know, showed up all the parts of my game that I knew I was going to have to get on the floor and it, and it really gave me a lot of confidence just to be able to, you know, help others and, and talk and communicate things like that. Yeah. And you know, coach Cal throughout the season said that you were among the hardest workers that he's ever had in the program. I mean, last off season, and I'm not, I, I don't know what your work schedule was like before it, not saying you didn't work hard, but, um, what was your off season schedule like? Because whether it was the mental approach, the physical approach, 
I mean, you were clearly a completely different dude when you came back, and I'd just be curious, you know, what you were doing. I know you said all of the tangible stuff, the the jump shot, the defense, the, the communication, but what were you actually physically doing to get yourself prepared? Because obviously it goes without saying you were a completely different player. Oh, uh, yeah. That, well, when I was home, I basically played pickup every single day, and I worked out every single day, and I basically had like a two or three a day every single day of the summer. Mm. And then when I had actually like a one week or one and a half week period where I stayed with Markel Fultz and just lived with him. Um, got to play him one on one a little bit. He showed me some stuff working out and things like that. So, um, I got to pick his brain and just see basically the demeanor and, and the mindset you got to have to basically be an NBA player. And that kind of changed my outlook on uh, a lot of things heading into my sophomore year. What, what were the things that changed after hanging out with Markel all summer last year? Um, kind of that focus, that killer mindset you got to have. Um, you know, basketball is a lot of fun, but it's also business. Um, and and that's kind of the, the kind of the stuff he gave. You know, uh, going into that year. What about the mental approach? You know, Calipari always says Kentucky isn't for everybody. And the one thing that I think we've learned through the years is that. It's very much a sink or swim place, right? They're, they're always recruiting. They're always bringing in talented players, whether you're a returnee or whether you're a freshman. What? How did your mental approach change coming into this year? Because I could imagine, and maybe I'm wrong, and tell me if I'm wrong, but it could be an overwhelming thing for a freshman. And like you said, having that second year, I would imagine that along with the physical stuff, the mental stuff changed as well. Yeah, Coach Cow has a saying uh, about take what you want. And I think okay. that when he says that, that's... That, that's really actually a big part of Kentucky wow. um, when you're there. Uh, my freshman year, I didn't really understand that, but my sophomore year coming back, I actually really understood that. Um, so in practices, I took everything serious. Not that I didn't take it serious since my freshman year, but I just had a, a more you know focused approach. Uh, in games, I took everything serious. Even the, even the blue-white game and big blue madness game, I took everything serious. So uh, just that focused mindset coming in was really important for me. Was there a moment this season, and you know, you you had a ton of success, but obviously SEC play, it felt like you took it even to another level. Was there a moment where you felt like either the game slowing down, or you know, what what was the, whatever moment it was, or whatever feeling it was? Were there was there just a moment where you were like, dude, I got this, I am ready for this moment, give me the ball, whatever. I think the Louisville game was was a was a game changer for me uh, in the fact that I was. Um, I was still coming off the bench, but I was playing at the end of the game. And yep. that overtime, and that game went to overtime, and I think I made, like, a couple clutch buckets in that overtime, which, you know, gave me a lot of confidence. And then, you know, after we won that game, it just kind of propelled me uh, throughout the season, so that was different. Oh, and it sure did, man. Dude, I'm thinking back to the Florida game at Rupp. I'm thinking back to the Texas A&M game. Do you have a favorite moment, a favorite game? Because there was two or three where the, the other four guys on the on the team just gave you the ball and let you do what you did, and uh, it was it was fun to watch. Uh, definitely that Florida game was probably – that was one of the biggest moments of my career. Um, the, the one shot that I had made that it was like I had made uh, three threes in a row, and the last three uh, forced the Florida team to call a timeout. I had – Ashton drove it and pitched it to me. It was like two guys on me. I just shot it anyway. <laughs> I felt like I was. I felt like I was playing pickup for a second. I felt like I was back at home, just you know, launching balls in, in a pickup game. So that was one of the craziest uh, games. One of the craziest moments of my life. 
Fantastic. And, and obviously, look, we understand that it's about your teammates. It's about, uh, you know, the name on the front of the jersey, all that stuff. But, you know, after what you went through the first year, what did it feel like the day that you found out that you were SEC Player of the Year? Again, it, your teammates deserve a ton of credit. But, man, you deserve a ton of credit, too, for putting in the work, doing what you did. How did it feel to be recognized by the coaches and the other players in the SEC? Oh, uh, yeah. Like you said, my teammates deserve a lot of credit. When I was doing that, not possible without the coaches and stuff like that. But, um, like you said, also, the work that I had put in, I felt like, you know, I, I kind of deserved it. Uh, and the coaches, you know, in the league that's got it, which just shows you how much they, uh, they, how much they have respect for my game as well. Um, but really, you know, I'm really a guy. Uh, just, it reminded me that I got to keep working hard, you know, to drop top finish. At that time, you know, I still wanted to have a lot of team success as well and trying to get the SEC and national championship, obviously. We didn't get to do that. But just continue to work hard. And it, like I said earlier, you know, it just shows that, you know, you can overcome anything if you just continue to put the work in. You did mention, obviously, the SEC tournament, the NCAA tournament. Take us through the last couple days of what ended up being the season. I mean, you guys obviously had gotten to Nashville, I assume. Um, and you kind of, you know, you were one of the few teams that wasn't playing until Friday. So you weren't on the court. You didn't have a game canceled later that day. What was it like? How surreal was it for fans who, uh, you know, are just curious how the season ended? Take us through those final few hours as, unfortunately, you find out that first the SEC tournament is canceled and then, of course, the NCAA tournament as well. Well, I can even take you through the days. Please. Honestly, there was a, there was a day where, you know, everything was normal. Then we went to the next day. Then they said we were going to play without fans. Then we traveled. And then that day, or the next day, they said, so we might not be playing that night before the game the night before. And then the next day we got to the shoot around, then they said we're not playing. So everybody's heart was kind of broken at that time. When we got back, we immediately played pickup. We just, we just loved playing with each other. I think that's another advantage that we had. We liked being around each other. Uh, we liked hooping with each other. So, um, you know, we played pickup as soon as we got back and then, you know, a couple of guys cried in the locker room just knowing, you know, it, it was going to be their last game. And what was Coach Cal's message throughout all this? I mean, obviously there were probably different messages at different points in the day, different points in the week, but as the season, as it becomes clear that, that you guys won't play again, that this thing is over unexpectedly without a chance to compete for a championship, what was his kind of overarching message? Um, You know, he, he was he was bummed that he, he didn't get a chance to you know, coach us in the, in the tournament. He was bummed that, you know, uh, some guys didn't get the experience uh, that kind of tournament feel, you know, whether you win or lose, you know, the tournament is something that everybody dreams of playing in, you know, March Madness. Everybody's watching March Madness. Uh, he told everybody, you better go to class. You better finish, uh, finish out the semester. Um, but, you know, it, it, it was just, you know, a cool thing to be around. The coaching staff was great. Uh, I said in my draft video, I enjoyed going to practice every single day. Practice was a, was a, was a ball. It was a pleasure to be around everybody there. And um, what are your lasting thoughts? Like when you think back on this team, this season, um, you know, first of all, you said you love playing together. I assume you think you guys were good enough to win six more games and win a championship. But what what do you think about when what, – what will you think about when you think about this team in a couple years? Yeah, uh, obviously everybody thinks it's basketball, but I'm just going to remember how funny these guys were. This was honestly one of the funniest teams I've been on. Uh, whether we went out to dinner or, you know, whether it was just practice, uh, a lot of personalities on this team, you know, which was really cool to be around. Everybody was different. 
which made us all, you know, kind of unique uh, in that sense. But this team was just so fun to be around. You know, we enjoyed each other's company, road games, home games, all that type of stuff. So I'm really going to miss this team off the floor even even more than on the floor. Uh, really quick, I know you got to run here, but take us through the decision to declare. I mean, um, you know, obviously when the season ends, everybody's heartbroken, but at some point, you know, I, I, I'll let you kind of set it up, but I would assume you realize, hey, I'm SEC player of the year. I had an incredible season. I did what I came to accomplish at Kentucky. I mean, take us into the draft decision. Was there anything that ultimately pushed you over the top? Did you know all along? Uh, just take us through that. Uh, yeah, you know, talking to my family, um, which, which was the main thing, but, you know, everybody was, everybody was kind of telling me, you know, you didn't play point guard or stuff like that, but, you know, I, I'm, like you said, I won SEC player of the year. I played point guard all my life, so it's not like I don't know how to play point guard all of a sudden. Uh, but, you know, winning SEC player of the year, I mean, it ain't too much more that I can come back and do unless I win, you know, player of the year. Uh, but, you know, just, just, Feeling like I, you know, I've done what I've come to do, which was, you know, have a great season. And uh, Coach Cal was behind me with whatever I chose to do. So I felt like uh, my job at Kentucky with BBN was done. And real quick, you know, I, I I know it's early to have kind of had feedback from NBA teams, but I think in a lot of ways you showed. You know, you said I played point guard my whole life. I feel like you showed the NBA a whole different side of you, which is especially in this era in the NBA where. Uh, everybody can handle the ball. Everybody needs to be able to shoot. I would think that being able to show the side where you can play off the ball, where you can catch and shoot, where you can come around a screen, all of those things, I would assume you know whatever NBA feedback you've gotten, I would think would be positive to this point, no? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's the way the game's going. Uh, most of the quote-unquote point guards don't even handle the ball a lot of yep. times, so. Uh, but nah, it, it was really good for me to be able to play with, you know, Ashton Tyrese. I think we all benefited from playing with each other in the fact that the game is going that way, playing multiple playmakers, multiple ball handlers on the floor, uh, multiple, you know, scores on the floor. It was really good for me to be able to play in that situation. Very good. Last question. Obviously, over these next couple months, I don't think you anyone really has a great feel for what this process will look like, but when you get a chance to get in front of NBA people, hopefully it's in a gym, but even if it's through a Zoom session, a Skype session, what do you want to impress upon NBA people, and what would you tell an NBA person uh, that's kind of on the fence about, should I take this kid, should I not? What is it about Emmanuel Quickly that is going to make an NBA team really happy that they took him? Um, well, I, th I think one thing in particular, a lot, I think everybody, you know, that, that enters the draft can play basketball. I don't think there's a question about that, but it's kind of the stuff. What else do you bring to a team that, that benefits that team? I think my leadership was, was really good this year. And a lot of the stuff that, uh, that I might say right now, you might not see in a stat sheet, but I think my leadership was, was really good. I feel like I was a coach on the floor. Um, you know, it was always positive in the locker room, things like that. So. Uh, just bringing stuff to a team that you you know you might not see in a statue is really important. Well, and I would think too the 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 stuff that we talked about earlier, the adversity overcoming it that right. you weren't yeah that you weren't always the star. I mean, right. I feel like that plays a big role in this too. Right, um, and and I've had to do that for for a couple teams. You know, USA Basketball, the team that we won the gold medal on, uh, the semifinal and championship. I rarely played so. Um, the team that uh, we won bronze with with Coach Cal, uh, I played a lot on that team. But the team before that, you know, I, I didn't play as much. And then my freshman year, you know, I didn't play as much as my sophomore year. So uh, 
um, overcoming adversity has been, been, you know, a lot through my life. And, you know, if, if it happens in the league, you know, I'll be ready for it. And, I, and I'll just continue to keep grinding. Fantastic. Anything else as I let you go here? Anything that you want to push out to Big Blue Nation, to fans, to college basketball fans that enjoyed watching you play? Anything that we haven't hit on? Uh, honestly, uh, not too much. Uh, BBN, best fans in the world. Man, I enjoyed playing at Rupp. I'm um, definitely miss playing for uh, for DBN. They were the best. Emmanuel quickly, SEC Player of the Year. He made my All American team. Uh, dude, this was so fun. Best of luck. Uh, I'm sure we'll be back in touch down the road. But thank you for the time, my man. And uh, I hope I, I hope and I look forward to doing it again soon. Appreciate you. God bless you. All right, and joining me on the phone now, a gentleman I am so excited to talk about. He was an honorable mention All-American, first team All-SEC. Many believe should have been the SEC Player of the Year from the University of Arkansas. Mason Jones, my man, what's going on? How you doing? Thanks for having me today. I'm excited to get have a good talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it will be a good talk, my man, because there wasn't anybody. Uh, I don't think personally. This is my personal opinion. I don't think there's anybody that enjoyed watching me, pl- uh, watching you play more than me this year. But you know, real quick, obviously these are crazy times. Just first of all, I think a lot of Arkansas fans would just love to know, you know, how you holding up, man? How is everything? I, I would guess you're probably back in Texas. Um, just how, how are you? How are the family? How are things in these wild times? Uh, the family's doing good, you know. We are just coming back together, just enjoying time together. You know, it's good to see my mom and dad and my dog, Chandler. And having my sister come home a couple of days ago was amazing because I haven't really caught up with it. We all play basketball, so it's it's hard to keep up with all the siblings. But I'm enjoying it, you know, just coming home. I'm in Dallas, Texas right now, and I'm just continuing to work out, you know, just running on the track, doing push-ups and set-ups, just doing things just to keep, just keep me going, you know, just keep the motivation and the journey still going. You know, it's during a tough time right now. But it's all in God's hand. You know, he's going to prepare everybody and just take care of everybody. So I just hope everybody at home being safe. Well, you just used the word journey, and I think it's a great way to kind of describe your story. And we'll get into the draft process and what you're doing and all that kind of stuff. But I do want to talk about your journey because it's kind of an incredible story. As you said, your sister's a professional basketball player. She played uh, at Texas A&M. As many people know, your brother played at Duke. Um I got to ask, just point blank, and I hate to do it. Is it true you were like 285 pounds at one point in your in your younger days? Is that accurate? Well, uh, more about like 270, 275. Yeah, very accurate. And uh, so explain that. I mean, I saw that you didn't really play uh, much organized basketball. You didn't play at the high school level until your senior year of high school. Was it just – you were a little bit out of shape. I mean, I, I I hate to ask, but it's kind of a crazy thing because you're this incredible, finely tuned athlete right now. It's hard to see you with 270 pounds on that frame, man. Oh, um, man. just You know, it was just a lot of eating, a lot of snacking, a lot of playing video games at night and not really doing nothing to work my body out, no moving, no nothing. I wasn't playing no sports. I was just being a regular, regular person going to school, coming home, eating, playing the game, you know, just doing all the things to get yourself fat. And it took me it took me to senior year of high school to realize that I didn't want to I didn't want to get called fat anymore and I wanted to take life more serious and I kinda of started taking it serious in high school as a senior and then I really didn't take it serious still. And then I went to Link Year Prep 
and then I went to junior college, and junior college is really where I found myself. You know, it was really a breaking point at junior college. I was like, either I'm going to break down or I'm going to go home, and I broke down, and I just started going crazy, and, and it's, it's just crazy how God works. You know, it's just he put me in all these situations to, to build my character and to to be where to every step stone I took is incredible. You know, MVP at junior college, and then for me to be AP thirty year and SEC to get that from the media is incredible. You know, it's just a journey that God has me going down, and for me to inspire people to never give up and just to keep going, and that hard work always pays off at the end, regardless of what people stab at you. If you post it or not post it, it's just just continue to work hard because it's all going to pay off at the end of the day. Well, you said that you know you, you didn't really play sports uh, at that younger age. I mean, obviously, you just mentioned uh, that it's you know basketball is a big part of what your family does, kind of collectively. Um, were you playing in the backyard? Was it just not something that interests you? I mean, what flips the switch from obviously one you wanted to get in shape. But what flipped the switch from, you know, playing video games, hanging out, eating all that stuff to uh, playing your senior year and then, you know, just going forward? Because it's interesting to me that you said you didn't really play sports much growing up right up until that senior year of high school. Oh, it's just, um, to be honest, I just got tired of people calling me Matt Jones' little brother and Jordan Jones' little brother and he's a failure and he's not living up to the legacy of my family. I was like, well, what can I do? Can I either, can I prove people wrong or can I just prove that they write about what they say about me and as me growing up I always wanted to prove people wrong and I feel like the chip has always been on my shoulder and it's still on my shoulder but I really I definitely wanted to prove people wrong and I definitely wanted to get my own name and I feel like more people respect me and know me as Mason Jones now and not as Matt Jones with brother or Jordan Jones with brother. That's incredible. So when you were growing up around town, I mean, obviously your older brother and sister had a ton of success, but you were deemed by some in your community as not as successful because you weren't a basketball player. I would just think that, you know, in this day and age, if, if a kid doesn't want to play basketball or if that's not what his interest is or whatever, that, um, you know, people would let a kid be a kid. But it sounds like in that community, there was an expectation you were going to be the next kind of great Jones player out of that family. Yes, sir. Definitely. Definitely. And I didn't live up to hype. And I kind of shied away from it. You know, I just, I said, I'm just going to not play basketball and just be my own person. And I figured out that it was just, you know, sometimes that I went through that time period, it was just, it really made me. It's like, okay, let me sit down and find myself. Let me, who am I, God? Who, who do you want me to be? And it just takes a little switch to get you starting to get into the right direction. And me just not wanting to be my, be Matt Jones' little brother and Jordan Jones' little brother was the switch to like what I wanted to become. And I just wanted to carry that on and on through junior college, through prep, and through uh, Division One high major SEC. And I just wanted to let people know, like, Mason Jones is his own person, and I'm here to stay. It was you said a switch. Was there one moment where you looked in the mirror? Was there anything that you vividly remember as a turning point where you just said, "Enough is enough. I gotta, I gotta do something to change." I know you did talk about that change process, senior year, high school, prep school, junior college. But was there one moment where you looked in the mirror or where you had a moment of clarity and you said, "I gotta be doing something different"? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I was talking to my my big brother Matt, and we were just talking one day. And he was like, Max, like, what are you doing? Like, like, what are you doing in life? Like, hmm. 
I want you to be, I want you to be better than me, and you're just not, you're not doing anything right now. And I really thought about that, and I was like, what do you mean? And he was just like, you're supposed to be out here being better than me, pushing me, and I feel like I'm not being pushed because you're sitting around playing video games and getting fat. And I was like, you're right, you're right, let's get it, let's get it. And after that, it just switched, you know. I was still fat in high school, but you can see, you can still see me starting to come on and starting to get the love for basketball. And then, like I said, right when I got to junior college, that's when I was like, okay, let's go. And then I wanted to continue it to SEC Arkansas because I felt like people were guiding Coach A for bringing me. And I wanted to keep proving people why I was building my name. And to leave Arkansas the way I did and the way that all hard work is paid off. And for me to get all of the accolades through my head coaches, through all the coaches and all my teammates is incredible because, like I said, nobody really saw this coming from me this year, but I always saw it coming. I told my coaches I wanted to do it, and, you know, God always had a plan for me, so it's incredible to see all the things that's coming out. So I, I, I want to talk about the Arkansas stuff. I, I have one last question kind of about your childhood and all that stuff, and I hate to keep harping on it, but I think this is so important, Mason, because I think there are people that are going to listen to this and, and, and look at themselves and they may have an issue or they may be a little bit overweight or they may feel bad about themselves. I mean, um, you know, what were the first steps for you beyond just talking to your brother? Because, I, you know, Mace, this story is incredible, man, and I, I didn't really know all the background, so forgive me, but... I think there's going to be somebody listening to this that's maybe feeling a little bit overweight or a little bit down in this current climate. Talk, to, to, you know, tell that person what the first steps are, what the second steps are, because this is such a great story. And frankly, I knew a little bit about it, but I didn't know nearly as much as you're telling me right now. Yeah, first step. First step is you got to believe. You got to believe that you can do it. You got to believe that you can lose the weight. You got to believe that you can stay consistent on this journey. The second step is embracing it and doing it. You can't shy away from it. You gotta take all the criticism that come with you gotta you gotta you gotta speak to yourself the right way. You have to know that you wanna be better and that's what I want. I wanted my body to be better and I wanted to actually go out there and show people that you can transform in a year. You can do this and that people didn't believe you can. And it's just it's just crazy how I really I really stay positive every day. I had I had doubts about it, but I always found positive spots in my in my day. I always found ways to keep pushing. I always woke I always woke up at five a.m., six a.m. to work out. I never complained. I had some days where I was tired, but I always fought through the tiredness. I always told myself that it's all gonna pay off. Everything that I did that the year I lost all my weight, it was it, I just stayed positive. And like I said, the one thing is you gotta embrace it. The second thing is you got to do it. You got to want to be hungry. And I was hungry about it, and I got it done. I never complained. I accepted everything that came with it, and I trusted God with the whole thing. And God was faithful to me, and I've been faithful to God. So, you know, he really blessed me with the opportunity to go to Arkansas where people really thought I wasn't a high major D1 player. And I was able to prove a lot of people wrong through a lot of things. Yeah, it's crazy because, and, and I'll get off this, I promise, but, you know, reading about, you know, your path to Arkansas, um, you know, you committed late in the spring, right after a visit. 
Um, and it seemed like they were quote unquote only taking you because they had lost a couple guys in the transfer market, all that stuff. Talk about when you did commit to Arkansas, what appealed to you about that opportunity? I know you said playing on that big stage in the SEC wanted to prove everybody wrong once again. Um, it was, you know, I wanted to play on, at Arkansas because first Coach Cleveland and Coach A was, was grateful enough to give me a scholarship. So just for me to get a high major D1 offer at an SEC school and them believing in me was was incredible. But I know coming in, a lot of people didn't have high expectations of me. People were still doubting me. Was he athletic enough to play at SEC? Is he shot? All that is he fast enough? It's like, okay, you see, as a player, you see all that. But, you know, I never took it as criticism. You know, I took it as, okay, let's work harder. And the first year I was at Arkansas, you know, I, I was 13 and 4, and it was, you know, it was an up and down year. You know, I went through a lot. You know, I learned a lot, actually. And it was just, to be honest, it was one of the years where, like, I really thought, like, I really thought, okay, this is what I want to do. This is this is why, okay, I'm here now, God. Like, what do you want me to do? And he told me, like, you got to work hard. You got to, it's, it's not going to be given to you. And coming in as my junior year this year, because my coach, Coach A, got fired. And Coach Musk came in, and Coach Musk, I said that with Coach Musk, and all Coach Musk, I want to do this. And I feel like I can be an all-first-team SEC player if I'm given the opportunity. And Coach Musk has told me, Mace, you just got to work hard. Work hard, and I'm going to I'm gonna lead you there. And all the coaches push me every day, and Coach Musk pushed me every day. And the ground got bigger. This My junior year, the ground got stronger. I was working out at 5 o'clock, 5 a.m., 6 a.m., 7.30 a.m., coming back out of the class, working out. I, just, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Coming in my junior year, I knew exactly what my goals was. I was really on a Kobe mentality. I knew that I wanted to kill SEC. I knew I wanted to put my name out there, and I did exactly what I did. And I did it the right way. I worked out. I grind. I watched film. I didn't do all the, I didn't do no party, I didn't do anything. It was just straightly focused on. And that's what that's what I did. And just watching I used to watch a lot of highlight videos on Jason Tatum, Paul George, Luca, Mono, just to just to get so much from their game and you can see it all in my game how I can score all three levels and people still question how do I do it. It's just I watch a lot of film and I'm a winner and I work hard to extreme and I know exactly what I want to do in life, and I know that I want to be one of the best to ever play. And I wanted to start off by leaving a good legacy at Arkansas, knowing that I was one of the best players, and I feel like I definitely did that. Well, you know, you just hit on a lot of the stuff that I was actually going to ask you about, but, you know, I, I talked to some of the guys on the staff throughout the season, and they said they had never seen a kid, and they had been around NBA players at the University of Nevada, Cody and Caleb Martin, who both started games for the Charlotte Hornets this year, uh, played for them last year, and they had other guys in the league and all that stuff. They said they have never seen a kid work as hard as you did last offseason. Now, maybe you had been doing that all along and they just weren't there, but take us through what was your what, – what, you know, you talk about meeting with Coach Muss – I believe I can be an all-SEC player. I'll ask you the same question that I just asked you a minute ago about the weight loss, because it seems like you're a very goal-driven person, and you set a path, and then you get to it. So when you have a really good year, I, I you know maybe I'm wrong, but I believe you exceeded expectations in your first year at Arkansas, but then you do want to take it to the next level. What were the steps to get there? Because like you said, 5 a.m. every day, it seems like it, there were no days off for you last offseason. Yeah, 
Oh, oh no, at all. And I'm a um, coach. Rich, coach Rich is our strength coach, mm-hmm. and I told him that, coach, I need to get stronger so I can finish better. Mm-hmm. And we got stronger every day. We got stronger every day. This is the strongest I've ever been in my life. And people wonder why. Like, why do I finish so good? Why do I? Why, how do I get back? Get past people that's quicker than me? It's just I know exactly what I'm doing as strength wise. I'm strong. I can get past people. I know I know my body to a T. Like if 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 I could say that. I know my body, I know when to do the step backs, I know when to do everything. And just for me working out every day, it was really clockwork going in the game. I was working out with Jeremiah, Jerome Hayden. We was working out almost every day. Every day, five AM, six AM, come back after class, work out. Come back at night, work out with Khalil, Jalen. We just all working out, and just to see all see all work out is just incredible. Just to see that all the stuff I was doing that people was probably laughing at, it was paying off. I was doing step, I was doing slow mo step backs just to see the preparation on it, mm-hmm. and then I moved to fast step backs, and then I did step backs, double step backs, in between the legs step backs. It's just preparation that goes to all the things that I showed this year. Step back behind the back. It's just everything that I did was not full. It's everything I did was hard work. And I feel like just it's just I really haven't peaked yet, just especially knowing that I just started playing again. And I just feel like I'm about to just really step into my zone where I show that I really am a true player and I know I'm one of the best in the country. Was there a moment this past season where you realized, wow, all this hard work is paying off? I mean, I looked it up, and I believe it was, uh, if my math is correct, nine 30-point games, two 40-point games. Was there a moment this season where you realized all this hard work paid off, and I'm a bad dude, these guys can't stop me? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tulsa. Tulsa was definitely yep. the game where I was like, okay, okay, definitely. Plus, it was the game where, okay, I'm, I'm the, I feel like I'm stepping into, I'm stepping into that man where I want to be. And God was like, go for it. And the thing about it was, I still stay faithful. I still went to church. And that was, that, that's one of the big, big things about me is I'm really a, I'm a really believer of God. And, you know, I really put everything in his, in his hands. And then I seen what he did against Tulsa. I was like, okay, God, I see where you want me to go. And I just took off from there. And Coach Mus and my teammates and all the coaching staffs and Khalil and everybody, they were just, okay, nice. We just do what you do and we want to, we want to see you do best. And the crazy thing about it is my teammates, I always, I make sure my teammates are happy. I love my teammates there. I wanted them to be successful with me too. So it wasn't all about me. And I just wanted to make sure my team, my team wanted to win and I'm a, I'm a winner. And I want to do everything to win. And we came up short sometimes this year, but my team, you know, I love them. And we we gave a show every game. And Coach Nuss, and you know, they coached their butt off every day. They put us in the right situations. Scout report every week. They gave us the best chance to win every game. And the coaching staff this year was incredible. I can't even lie. They, they put us all in positions to to be, be ourselves, you know. You see Desi, Isaiah. Adriel, you just see Reggie, Ethan, you just see everybody just coming to their little stepping stone more and more into at the end of the season, and it's incredible to see. That's just coming from more of a coaching staff, and Coach Must just buying, we just buying into Coach Must, and Coach Must letting us be players and trusting us on and off the court. Yeah, I've had Coach Muss on a number of times. Um, you know, talk about obviously him having an NBA background. I mean, 
Um, you know, listen, it was a, an up and down season. Obviously, there were injuries, which we'll get into just in a minute. But I mean, the role that, you know, I, I don't want to discredit anything that you did because you were in the gym every day at 5 a.m., but the role that the whole coaching staff did, because I know that they obviously had a ton of faith in you, and it showed this year. You had a ton of faith in yourself, and this this is back on your shoulders. But how about the role of the coaching staff this season? Oh, it was incredible, you know. It was just, I'm learning so much things from so all the coaches. Coach Moser, the way I was reading uh, reading lanes on defense, I learned from Coach Moser. Um, Coach Crutch, the way I was getting all my shots off, I learned from Coach Crutch. Coach Williams just being mentally prepared for every game. Being a being a being a pro and acting like a pro in in game and in out, Ruda just Ruda being there for always for me. That's my guy for life. <laughs> and Coach Mus, you know, Coach Mus just Coach Mus being Coach Mus. He pushed me every day. He told me, "Man, I'm gonna get the best out of you." He he talked to me out the practices when I fell down, when I had bad games. He always talked to me. He called me. So you know, just being just having all the coaches there, and for them to care about me and want me to be the best player I can be is incredible. And just to have all the confidence from them and for them to tell me to go out there and play like the best player every night it was incredible. And they have so much. I give them so much success because they are most of the reason why I had so much success. And there's a reason why everything goes goes away. Coach Nuss, he came and he trusted me from day one. And I gave him everything I had. And God blessed all of us. How disappointing, you know, it's so funny you mentioned the Tulsa game because that was the game where I'm watching and I see you, Isaiah, Joe, Jimmy Witt. I said, this is this is a real team right now. This is this is a this is an NCAA tournament team. How disappointing is it that injuries happen, things like that? It, it's nobody's fault, obviously. Um, but I don't think you guys got to show the world how good you guys were because right when you were peaking, unfortunately, there were injuries. I thought you played well down the stretch. The SEC tournament happens, but you never got the real chance to show the world how good Arkansas was and how good Arkansas could be. I know, I know. It's, it's really tough that we had to go through injuries, but, you know, it really it really defined our season. You know, we, we went down a five-game win, a loser streak, and we never, we never routed. We never lost each other. We never... We never gave up on the season. It was like, okay, he's still here. We still got more games to play. And the team and our teammates was like, okay, man, let's go. And I was like, everybody looks good. We all are here together. And that's what we wanted to do. And as you see down the road, we started really clicking. Isaiah came back. He was playing good. Desi was, Desi was getting right into it. You see Ethan Henderson and Bargain. You see Adrian Bailey doing good. You see Jalen Harris going crazy. You just see everybody doing what they do best. And we was having fun. And I feel like if the season would have kept going, we definitely would have made a lot of noise in that SEC tournament because we, we were very confident going in. And I feel like we, if we were able to chance to get an SEC tournament, we would have made a lot of noise too. Just the depth that we don't really have a lot of depth. We got seven man, but that's towards much decision. And I feel like our seven man was better than a lot of people this year. And I feel like we would have, we would have did a lot of good things, especially with the the seniors and the guys we had. And then we had underclassmen that was doing good. Isaiah Joe, one of the best shooters. And then we had Desi coming off the bench. His choice, it was just incredible to see all the things that he did this year, you know. Starting off slow and then just killing it at the end is incredible. You know, just having Jalen Harris on the team, just everybody just doing what they do best. And Coach Musk is like, we just need everybody to play hard. And, and that's what we wanted to get Coach Musk. I know it's not about you, it's about the team, but in the same way, I kind of feel like it was disappointing for you because 
I, I'm just going to say it. You can disagree if you feel like it. I don't feel like Mason Jones got the credit that he deserved for the season that he had. Based, oh, go ahead, yeah. go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I definitely, I definitely agree on you with the. Uh, I didn't get, you know, it's it's just a lot of things that go into it. But you know, it's all in God's hand. You know, a lot of people can't say they let number one that was first in free throws and free throws attempts, free throw, first in transition points. Uh, I was twenty-two. You know, killed every player that he went. That I killed every player that people said was better than me every game. You know, it just I just had that chip on my shoulder that I wanted to show that I was the best every game, and I felt like I left it out there. But you know, it's a lot of things that go with other things. So you know, I just leave everything in God's hands. But I feel like I definitely didn't get credit a lot. But it's all going to pay off soon. You know, I'm just staying faithful, just working out, and just letting God be. I know that my my production speaks for myself, and I'm going to let the production do the talking like always. Very good. A couple last questions. We'll let you go. How tough was that decision? Um, how, you know, what went into the process of making this NBA draft decision? Because obviously it goes without saying. We all know by now. But this is a completely different process than we've ever seen. We don't know if or when you'll be able to get in front of actual NBA teams. How tough was that decision? I might as well ask, too. Um, have you completely closed the door on returning to Arkansas? Is there a sliver of possibility depending on this process, or are you done? But mostly, what went into the decision? Um, the answer to the first question, um, you know, it was tough. It was a tough decision. You know, just knowing that I could have had the chance to go finish what I started at Arkansas and go back my senior year, but I feel like I gave. I gave I showed a lot of people exactly who yeah. Mason Jones was this year and for, for what's more to come. You know, I feel like I'm only gonna get better from here. I still people like Mace, this is a good year, but this is really an okay year for me, you know. I really I feel like I could have did way better and I could have worked on a lot of things better that I would look back at now and watch your film at the crib. Really? At home. So I would never so, guess you that. know, I watched that. Yeah, I still watch a lot of film. You know, I'd be bored, so I watch, I watch a lot of film <laughs> at, the, at my house just to see what, you know, some things I can work on moving forward. But the decision was very tough. And, you know, I had a lot of thoughts about it. I prayed on it. And I just felt like it was my time to just, you know, just go, go accept bigger challenges. And I feel like I'm going to work hard enough to do that. And I'm just going to keep putting a lot of people wrong. But there's a lot of people that I inspired this year that really made my journey fun this year. You said, a lot of people that tell me that I inspire them, and you're you're my inspiration is just incredible. It puts a it puts a smile on my face, and knowing that I'm doing it the right way, and that it's all led by God. What are you doing during this time? I mean, you mentioned running on the track, push ups, sit ups. It's so unprecedented. And under normal circumstances, for people who maybe don't follow the NBA draft process, you'd already be in Miami or LA or Vegas, you know, working out with a trainer, maybe signed with an agent. What are you doing right now? Because it, it is such an unprecedented time. We've never seen this before. I'm just curious uh, how you're doing your best to stay in shape given the kind of climate that we're in. Oh, I'm just, you know, I'm just running, running miles all day and just doing shows and push like you said, you know, just staying in shape, eating right. Not getting, not eating too bad, you know, just drinking a lot of water and just, you know, keep staying mentally and physically prepared because, you know, God's going to, God one day is going to end all this and eventually the world is going to go back to its normal world. And that's when business keep going again. I just want to make sure I'm ready because I still have a lot to prove and I'm ready to keep proving a lot of people wrong. 
and I do think you're going to prove people wrong during this draft process, when you do get a chance to be in front of NBA personnel, whether it is via uh, a FaceTime conversation or whether it is in person, what are you hoping to show them about Mason Jones or, or what do you expect to show them about Mason Jones? Um, just, just my personality, you know, just, you know, I'm, I'm just very chilled and very, I'm, I just love to, I'm a funny guy. And <laughs> when it gets on the court, when it gets on the court, I'm all serious in business and I'm a winner and I love to just be myself. I'm not a player that give, that have off the court issues at all. I'm a very calm and cool, collective person and I'm about business. I'm going to handle myself business like. And I'm going to treat myself like a pro. I'm going to do pro things. I'm going to, you know, make sure I work out every day and just keep doing what I do. I'm I'm going there strictly on business. And whatever happens, happens. But, you know, God always comes out the winner. And I know that I'm going to do a lot of preaching people wrong in this draft. And I'm excited to see where he takes me. But I'm excited to get in front of GMs and meetings and scouts and all that because it's just, you know, I just want to show people that, Mason is a winner, and Mason can do a lot of things that people say he can't do, but he really can do, and he showed it this year just to get more respect on my name, you know? Well, dude, and that's exactly what I was going to say, is whether it is because the team had injuries and struggled down the stretch, whether it be is because the draft process is slow, I'm just going to keep it real again. I see these NBA mock drafts, and I don't understand why you are in the position that you are in, and I don't think there are... 15 players in this draft better than you, let alone however oh, many. Yeah, so, yeah. So, come on now. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. It's, 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 it's crazy because, you know, going through this process, a lot of people are saying the same thing. And now that a lot of people, not, now a lot of big people are seeing it, like, okay, Mason is legit. Mason Jones is legit. And I just see, I just sit around and be like, Mace, now I'm saying, I went from Mason not going to get drafted to now I'm, people saying Mason's going to be top 20, 25. And I'm like, it's all God, you know, God's going to do his work and I'm going to sit back and let people just watch him and let people see the real production. Cause like I said, I don't feel like there, there wasn't a better player than me at SEC this year. My numbers speak for it and my numbers against every player I went up against his betters. And then I feel like I should have, you know, I feel like I should be top five players in the country. You know, it's all God's work. And, you know, I was blessed to make the Jerry Russell work award. Not being on it all year, but like I said, it's all God, you know, and I just let God handle things like that, and I don't really put my two cents on stuff like that. I just go out there and continue to control what I can control, and that's working out, playing hard, being the best mace, and putting people wrong again. Does it bother you at all that um, so much of the draft now has become, well, what can, what is a dude going to be in five years as opposed to, well, you know, you're 22 years old. First of all, I I would consider you relatively new to basketball, even though you're a little bit older, because of the fact that you didn't play till your senior year of high school, but that you did produce, that in those big moments when your team needed a shot, a bucket, they went to Mason Jones and they got it. Does it bother you? Is it just something that you're going to have to prove once again? I mean, what what do you think about that? Oh, oh, no, not at all, not at all. It's just, it's just crazy how God works, you know, um, People always died in my whole life. I went to junior college and got an MVP, and we went to the, the lead eight of the conference, tur- not conference tournament, national tournament. I went to Arkansas, and people died in me, saying, Mace's not going to do this. Mace can't be a player. He's going to be a bench role, a role player. Okay. I walked out AP player of the year, arguably the best player in SEC my junior year. And, it, you know, it just keeps going. You know, I have goals. 
that I want to do in the NBA that hopefully God blesses me with. And I know that once I get there, I'm really going to show that, okay, Mace's game is really smooth. He has a lot of a lot of people, a lot of players, are, a lot of player intangibles, other intangibles just in Mason game. You know, I have a lot, a lot of Jason Taylor in me with the separation yeah. and the step backs and knowing how to use angles. And then I have a, I have a lot of Luca off the pick and roll, just knowing what to do, when to pass it, when to get people on my hip. And then to finish it up, I just got a lot of Paul Pierce and Mauro Ginobili finishing moves, you know, just knowing how to finish, knowing how to use your body, knowing when to switch to the left, knowing when to switch to the right, when and how to go to the other side. Just know, that's just things that come with watching film a lot. It's just, you know, just studying the game. And the more serious I got with the game, the more serious I put in. And you can just see that if you put serious work in, it's all going to pay off on the court. And to be honest, I'm not going to lie. College, it kind of got a lot. Of, it got a lot easier this year. Yeah, I feel like thirty balls is just easy, and I feel like you know people expecting me to score forty or fifty. And I'm like, okay, let's be realistic. I'm getting double and triple team every game. I'm getting double team and triple team every game, but I'm still doing. You know, it's just the way that Coach Muss and my teammates and we all just put in the work. You know, my teammates are still working out. Coach Muss and them are still going crazy. It's just the fact that we all, everybody. And Arkansas building put in work, and God blessed us. And like I said, it was just sorry. It was a sorry ending, but God has way more bigger things for me, Coach Musk, the team, Arkansas, the coaching, to everybody that was there in that Arkansas building this year. I truly believe that we all have bigger things coming ahead. Mason, this was about as fun as I've ever had doing an interview, man. It was unbelievable. Uh, First of all, I'll just ask, have we missed anything about your journey, about this process, anything else that an Arkansas fan should know, that an NBA front office member should know, anything that we haven't hit on? Because I feel like we hit on pretty much everything. Um, I just feel like, you know, I just, like, Arkansas fans, I just want to, I don't know, like, I truly love them, man. Like, I get, like, they would, they gave me some of the best excitement of my life, you know, just give, for them giving me, giving a kid that's been through so much. And they embraced it on the open arms is amazing. You know, they don't understand that I really love going out there and playing in front of Bud Walton Arena every game. And I gave them my best. And I, and we all gave them their best. And I just wanted to show them that I want to thank y'all for bringing me here. And I want to keep, you know, I want to keep bringing y'all back because I know that y'all love watching Arkansas basketball and I love being here. And just for the GMs, I just want to let them know that I'm for real. You know, I'm, I'm Mason Jones is here to stay. And I just feel like I haven't peaked, and this is this is an okay year, you know. But I feel like I could do way better, and I know I'm gonna do way better. And I know that God has a lot of things in store for me, so I feel like I'm still a top twenty five player in this draft. And a lot of people are starting to realize that now. So I'm just gonna let everything, I'm gonna let everything just play out, and I'm just gonna let everything play, play in God's hands. I'll just tell you this: I don't know how anyone could listen to this interview, the journey that you had from where you started, where you are now, how much you've improved. I don't know how anybody could listen to this and not say that that is a kid that I want as part of my organization, and I'm willing to use uh, whatever draft pick it is to get a Mason Jones, University of Arkansas. Uh, dude, you know, the people that will listen to this interview know what special of a season you had, know what you did for that Arkansas program and the community. Uh, you should be incredibly proud, man, but thank you so much for the time. Hope we get to do this again soon. Best of luck during this draft process. 
It was a ton of fun, and I look forward to speaking with you again soon, my man. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right, joining me via Zoom, uh, as mentioned, NBA draft is on Wednesday. A guy that I think potentially maybe a first rounder, but but I'm going to get to the, I'm going to introduce you in a second, Jalen Harris. But I want to set the scene here. Fall 2018, University of Nevada. I go up to watch a practice. Cody Martin, Caleb Martin, your your brothers, the guys that you got to know really well. Jordan Caroline, mm-hmm. top five team in the country. I see this cat yeah. over in the corner uh, uh, jumping <laughs> off one leg, 40-inch vert, uh, uh, fadeaway three, swish. And I was like, who is that guy? And they were like, that's our next guy, Jalen Harris, uh, balled out for the Wolfpack mm-hmm. last year, first team all Mountain West. Long introduction, but how you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. I'm happy to be here. I'm glad to be on the show. First of all, uh, can you imagine, I mean, it, it's been a surreal journey for you, but, you know, quietly, you know, you, you did your time at Nevada. Uh, you're sitting there on the sideline watching this preseason top five team, but I'm telling you, man, I was in practice mm-hmm. for a day or two, and I was just like, I don't know who that dude in the corner is, but that kid's something special. I mean, is it surreal to kind of kind of think back to this whole journey and process for you? Uh, definitely. You know, the whole process from, you know, even from just the beginning, not even at Nevada, but even before that, all of it, man, it's just been, you know, a blessing first and foremost, but it's been crazy, like you said. <laughs> so I want to, you know, it's crazy. I want to go through your journey and everything, but I also want to kind of begin at the end here. Uh, as I mentioned, NBA draft is on Wednesday. Uh, and I've talked to a lot of guys throughout this process, you know, prior to you coming on, Obi Toppin, Emmanuel Quickly, SEC Player of the Year, um, Mason Jones, et cetera. What is it like now to be at the end of this journey? Because I'm guessing when you declared, you know, first of all, your season ended, the world was normal at the Mountain West Conference Tournament, but your season ends, I'm sure you, you know, you had a tough decision in deciding to stay or go, but you decide yeah. to leave. Uh, and I, I think you're probably guessing, uh, okay, three months from now, I'm going to start my pro career. How surreal <laughs> has this last right. seven months been? Man, it's been crazy. Like you said, we uh we ended our season regularly, uh, sadly, but you know what I mean? We, we've been waiting for a while. I've been waiting for a long time. I've had a lot of time to, you know, figure out, you know, what I was doing with the process, finding people, you know, just, just building my resources up and just getting ready for it. And so uh, I've just been trying to stay ready, man, honestly. So you're based in Dallas, and, and you know, Dallas, uh, Texas in general has been, I, I think, a little bit looser than a lot of parts of the country, but – Take us through this process, because I think, you know, probably April, May, you're just trying to get work in, you know, whenever you can. Man. I remember talking to Mason Jones, and he was literally running around the block and doing push-ups in the driveway. Uh, so mm-hmm. so what has this process been like? I mean, take us through the last couple months, what you've been able to do, what you've just recently been able to do, all that kind of stuff. Um, I uh, The whole process, man, especially early on, it was tough because, you know, everything shut down. It's hard to get in the gym. It's hard to – you know, get, they, they, out here, they were shutting down parks. So, like, they take the rims off the parks, out of the L.A. fitnesses. Like, you couldn't go anywhere. And so, uh, it was tough, man. But, like you said, same stuff like uh, Mason was doing, you know, just trying to find ways out here, outside, just using the different things that we have, uh, you know, just at our resources, man. But i just been, uh, like I said, just getting it in. I've been traveling. I've been to uh, Las Vegas to work out. I've been to Phoenix working out, uh, New Orleans. And so, just however I can, man. Just been trying to get ready for this. 
Fantastic. And, and I do want to get into your journey and your path, but for uh, somebody who, um, you know, their team drafts you on Wednesday night or they, they've heard a lot about you, just just tell us, uh, we'll get to your path, but your game. You know, I mean, people I'm sure have seen YouTube videos, highlights, but I mentioned, you know, the athleticism, mm -hmm. the skill, the stuff that I saw in Reno uh, two falls ago. Uh, tell people a little bit about your game, who Jalen Harris, the basketball player is. Uh, Jalen Harris, the basketball player, he's really versatile, man. That's first and foremost. I'd say, um, you know, he's somebody who can create for himself, create for others. He can play with the ball, he can play without the ball. Um, like you said, an athlete, uh, I've got good size. I can guard multiple positions. Um, and I got a high IQ for the game. I am um, a very competitive player, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I'm very unselfish and just trying to do what I can to win, man. That's most important. And so... Like I said, if I got to, you know, do whatever I got to do, if I got to create, like I said, create for myself, create for others, and I can kind of do a little bit of everything. So I was doing some research on you, and, uh, you know, basketball, kind of a corny line for me, but basketball is literally in your blood. Uh, tell mm -hmm. us the story. Your, your mom, an all-time great at SMU, uh, and I believe she was literally carrying you. Uh, team yeah. was in the NCAA tournament. Is that like a, a folk legend that a lot of people have been asking you about? Yeah, it's a it's pretty pretty crazy a story there. Like you said, just you know to be able to play that way, but it just happened to work out. You know, for her, she got she ended up getting pregnant like during the season, and so um, you know by the time the end of the season was over, she wasn't too far uh, into the pregnancy. And so I was born in August, and then you know she came back right after. She she didn't miss any games. She didn't miss any games wow. before or after. So yeah, she's a warrior. She's that's incredible. Yes, <laughs> sir. And your dad was a little bit of a hooper at SMU too, right? Yes, sir. He played there as well. That's, that's where they met at. Fantastic. And so, uh, you know, I, I read you played some ba uh, ba uh, football growing up. Excuse me. You grew up in Dallas, as I just said. Was basketball mm -hmm. always your main focus? Did you come to the sport late? I mean, I mean, how, uh, tell us a little bit about your youth. Um, so growing up, uh, well, like you said, I was born with a basketball. So that was always – you know, something that uh, I had there. But my parents, they gave me the opportunity to, you know, kind of go out and figure out what I wanted to do. Uh, they would work with me with basketball stuff, clearly, but uh, they let me play baseball, play football. I did track, um, just different things, trying to figure out what I liked. And so um, I did that up until high school. And then when I got to high school, I kind of cut everything and just went straight basketball. Did you cut everything? I heard you got hit pretty hard on the football field, and you were like, that's enough for me. All right. No, no, no. <laughs> I wouldn't true? say that. I wouldn't say that. I'd say more along the lines of, you know, other guys grew a lot faster than me. Okay. So, you know what I mean? Like, Respect, I, I was a little yeah. late to the game. That was all. <laughs> well, no, I, I get it, man. I get it. And you know what? You can still be effective, at, you know, on the court, uh, smaller, quicker, all that stuff. But one thing that's oh, yeah. kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, and I was going to say one thing that's interesting. I was reading, you know, during the college recruiting process that a lot of guys wanted you – more off the ball is that fair like not in a kind of a true point guard hybrid guard kind of role is that fair yeah they um a lot of the the bigger schools that recruited me they uh they wanted me for my my ability to score you know i um growing up uh before i got to high school you really i you know i played point guard i was a smaller uh smaller guy i i was naturally unselfish you know it was a point in time where you know people kind of had to force me to shoot the ball and so you know it was my natural position growing up and so that's kind of where um felt most comfortable playing that. And so by the time I got to high school, I was the biggest guy on the team at that point. So I was playing, you know, I'm tipping and then going to get the ball sometimes, and, you know what I mean? So I'm just 
just trying to get it done in high school. But um, like I said, the bigger schools, they kind of recruited me for that, for, you know, what they saw me do there. But um, that's kind of what I found attractive about Louisiana Tech was that, you know, that they, uh, they recruited me to kind of be there and play that, that point guard creator style uh, position. Fantastic. So you mentioned Louisiana Tech. You go there for a year and a half, and then you end up uh, in Reno at the University of Nevada. Uh, first of all, you know, not to speak ill will of Louisiana Tech, but just curious as to to why you decided to to leave town, and then what was it that was appealing about Nevada? I can probably take a guess, but I'll let you put it in your own words. So, <laughs> yes, sir. I um. So when I left Louisiana Tech, it just, you know, honestly, it just came down to, you know, my dream and my goal growing up being to be in the NBA, be an NBA player. And so, um, you know, that once I, you know, my sophomore year came around and I realized, you know, that wasn't going to be, um, you know, a viable option from there, you know, essentially. You know, I mean, the last person uh, probably got drafted out of there might have been Paul Millsap and Carl Malone. Like, it's, it's been a while. And so um, that was the big thing for me, just trying to help get to this goal. But, um by the time I got my, my release from my coach, one of my AAU coaches put me in contact with Coach Musselman in Nevada, and that's kind of how the process started. I, um, I went on a visit out there. I first built, you know, built a little relationship with the coaches, but I went on a visit out there, and then you know, I just kind of fell in love with it, man. the town, the community, uh, Coach Muss, his style of play, you know what I mean? Just these different things, man. It was exciting for me. And so that's kind of what uh, led me to that piece. Fantastic. As I mentioned, you know, when I was up there, you were sitting out, you know, one, I would ask you, I mean, your guy, you've been playing, as you said, your whole life, how tough was that year to sit out? But at the same time, you know, how beneficial was it to practice against two NBA guys, Cody and Caleb Martin, a bunch of other guys that are playing pro in other parts of the world, Jordan, Caroline, et cetera. How valuable mm -hmm. was it for you to, to sit out that twice? It was 2018, 2019 season. Yeah, it was, uh, it was tough at first because, you know, time wise, I got my release in 2017 and I ended okay. up, you know, I didn't play until 2019. So I almost sat out close to, to two years time-wise. But when I went, um, when I spent the time under Coach Musk there, uh, like you said, just day in and day out, it was tough at first because, you know, I wasn't playing. I'm used to playing every day. I'm used to, you know, playing all the time. And so uh, I was just practicing at that point. And so for me, it was finding, you know, finding how to better, not only myself, but just finding my role on that team in the practice squad. And so. I, you know, I just took it as pushing those guys. And so every day I come in there, uh, naturally I'm competitive, but, you know, my role on the team was to come in and try to make those guys better, you know? And so every day I'm coming in, I'm going at Cody, I'm going at Caleb, I'm going at Jordan, you know, Trey Sean and the other Trey, like everybody, you know, that, that team was, was a loaded team. And so um, just coming in, man, that was kind of my mindset about it was just trying to, you know, stay positive and just stay aggressive and just, you know, make those guys better. Was there a conscious moment where it went from, man, I'm bummed out that I can't play to, you know what, I'm going to take advantage of this and I can actually help these guys. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'll say um, it was around the time, like close to around when the season was starting because, uh, you know, we started doing more scouting report related things. And so it kind of made things different for me. I was, I was kind of being that guy, you know, I had to be the star on the other team every game. And so I'm being one game, I might be, you know, the point guard, one game, I might be the four man. And so, I'm kind of, uh, it helped me out because I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to play like these guys. And so it just gave me something, you know, to kind of try to add to my, to what I have already, you know, just trying to add to that. So. See, that's really interesting because, you know, Obi Toppin, when I spoke with him a few months back, he told me the exact same thing. He redshirted his freshman year. His was because of academics, but he said mm -hmm. it was the best thing that ever happened to me. It taught me one, I could just focus on 
weight room, school, all that stuff, but it also yeah. taught me how to be a better teammate, how to watch the game in a different way. Did you get that same sense as mm -hmm. well? Uh, definitely. Definitely. It's, and like you said, same thing with him. I'm sure, you know, you grow up, you play every year. You know, you've never really just not played. And so uh, it's a different experience, but, you know, you just learn a lot. Uh, watching, especially in my situation, like, I had a lot of veterans on the team. And so I was able to watch Cody and Caleb and uh, Trey and how they went about things. And, you know, that I think that gave me a little edge mentally as well. So obviously we've spent a lot of time talking about Coach Moss. I mean, it would have been incredible to play for him, but he decides to leave after your redshirt season. How challenging was that? I mean, I know at least for a time you considered again transferring. Uh, how challenging yeah. was that moment in time for you? Uh, it was tough. Um, like I said, originally, um, when I came, when I committed to Nevada, you know, Coach Muss was a big part of that. Uh, the things he had done there previously and uh, his style of play, his energy that he brought, it was, you know, it was kind of what attracted me to go there. And so um, when he left, it was tough for me. But I think that, um, you know what I mean, I, at the time I was in the transfer portal, but uh, Coach Alford came and he reached out to me. And at that point it was, uh, you know, we built a relationship there. And then I ended up coming back to that piece. Yeah, I live in L.A., and I got to know Coach Alfred well during his time at UCLA. What did he sell you mm -hmm. on? Because I don't know if he had ever seen you play or he knew you. Uh, I guess there's right. from Louisiana Tech, but, you know, I mean, he kind of – you had to kind of throw some faith into him that, you know, obviously it's going to be different than with Coach Musk, but that, right. um, you know, I'm going to be used in a way that, again, the goal is the NBA, and it's it, it obviously worked out. But, like, uh, mm -hmm. what exactly was his sales pitch to you? Um, his sales pitch, it, I wouldn't say it was much of a sales pitch. I'd say it was more of a, he kind of came at me like just trying to build a relationship originally. And so, you know, he kind of, he told me he got the job. He told me, uh, you know, he wanted me, clearly he wanted me to come back to play, but that his main focus was to try to, you know, build that relationship with me and uh, do these different things. And so I think that, um, you know, like I said, it was tough, but, you know, I think that, you know, he made it work. Clearly, we got here, so. Yes, well, and that's what, that's what I was going to say. Was there, again, I, I just talked about a light bulb moment, you know, during your redshirt year. Was there a light bulb moment for you? I know you had a, a couple injuries early this past season, but a light bulb mm -hmm. moment in practice, a game where you said, you know what, coach is putting the ball in my hands and letting me go. And, and you know, I got to take advantage of this because uh, this is my opportunity. Um, I think that uh, I've kind of, I've had that mindset. I kind of knew like, you know, when he came there, I would have to be that way to, one, like you said, he never saw me play originally for real. And so, or at that point recently. And so, um, you know, I knew I would have to, to show him to, to prove it, to have that responsibility. But I'd say uh, for me, it was just, it wasn't really a light bulb moment. It was just shaking the rust off. You know, I, again, I hadn't played for two years. And so early on, like uh, it was a little, you know, it was tough getting my timing and my rhythm and, you know, just the flow back. But I think after a couple games, I was able to really lock in and try to, um, you know, just maximize that piece. When you look back, so for people who don't know, you averaged uh, 21 a game last year, first team all Mountain West. Um, but beyond that, there was some crazy stretch. I was trying to find the stats where you averaged like 27 over a 10 or a 12 game stretch or whatever. Do you mm -hmm. ever look back on some of those box scores or if, if you're watching tape or you're talking with NBA teams uh, and you just say, wow, like I had a, you know, like I had a, I had a pretty good year there this, this past year in Reno. Mm -hmm. I'd say that uh, I do I do look at it and I say, you know, I had a pretty good year. But, you know, if we're being honest, I think that, you know, I, I think it's got, I got more in there. I think that's the thing that, you know, you've seen, you know, a lot of people think they've seen a lot. And, you know, they think they've seen my whole game. And I just think, you know, that's what excites me the most about this next level is to be able to go up there and 
actually show everybody that I have more to my game. You know, I have these different things. Like I played more, you know, I played more of a scoring role this past year. I kind of had to, I created some, I created doing this, but <clears throat> one thing at the next level with the spacing and, you know, the roles on the team and you got guys who are being paid millions of dollars to catch and shoot. And so, you know what I mean? Like these different things are going to open up. And I think that's where, you know, a lot of people are going to see them different facets in my game. Yeah, it's really interesting because I, I talk about this all the time. Is like there's this belief with the NBA draft that you always have to take the younger guy and that, you know, the younger guy, they have so much more upside. But again, I'll use Obi Toppin mm -hmm. as an example. You know, he was 6'2 at 18 years old. So he's 22 now. Is he really old? Because he's right. at the same kind of developmental curve. And I feel like it's kind of the same with you where you had mm -hmm. a year and a half off where you weren't playing competitively. Um, you know, new coach, new system, and this is no disrespect to anybody, Coach Musk, Coach Alfred, but just a lot mm -hmm. of moving parts in your career where if you get in the right spot with some stability, you can work with the same coaching staff for two, two and a half, three years. You know what I'm saying? Right. Exactly. That's one thing, you know, me and my people, we talk about a lot is that I played for, even going back to high school, in seven, what has it been, seven, eight years since I played for six or seven coaches. Wow. So I've never, I've had one coach for two years and that was it. Wow. And so that, and that was in high school, but like I said, I just, being able to, you know, I hope that's where it comes with this next level, being able to get somewhere under a coach who, who's maybe been there or who's going to be there, you know, and be able to just get developed. You know, I really, I feel like it's limited development within you know, I'm only playing one year for each person. And so there's only so much that they can really do in that little time. And so that's what excites me, man, is being able to learn and be able to be developed like that. I um, Another thing, I came into college at 17. I was in my tech at 17. So, you know, I was, I was a young guy at the time. And a lot of people, you know, they like those things. They don't like, you know what I mean? But it was, uh, yeah, it's crazy, man. Fantastic. What has been the conversations with NBA teams? First of all, I know I mentioned about this process and all this stuff, but – when did it really ramp up? I mean, when did it feel like the draft process? I know the last couple of weeks, you've finally been able to get into a facility. You kind of have this individual combine kind of deal. Has it felt like the draft process over the last few weeks at the very least? Yeah, the last few weeks, especially probably the past month or so, just because, you know, the combine stuff has been going on. And even though it's not the real, the regular combine is, you know, I mean, it's still a modified version. And so, um, just been doing, I've been doing, I've done a ton of interviews. I've done um, like team interviews. I've done um, a bunch of, I had to record a video workout. And then like you said, I went into the facility uh, here in Dallas and I got to, you know, show some of the things I can do, but it's been, these past few weeks have been more busy than, you know, clearly the past six months. So. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, we've been trying to do this interview for about two weeks, and and, and in a good yeah. way, every time we kind of set it up, you have another workout, another phone call, so I'm really happy mm -hmm. you can make some time. A couple oh, questions yeah. before before I let you go. One, um, what has the feedback been from NBA teams? I mean, obviously, you see yourself in a certain light, but again, in many ways, it feels like you haven't been able to show off the full skill set. What has the reaction been from NBA teams? Um, a lot of that is the same. I think um, – a lot of, a lot of, I'm not gonna say a lot of them. Some of the NBA team, you know, some of them like you, some of them really like you, some of them don't like you as much, and that's just, you know, that's just how it goes. But I think that um, playing, you know, I played West Coast, and so you know, a lot of people on the East Coast aren't watching the game. Our game started eight o'clock Pacific time, and that's eleven o'clock Eastern time, and so I think a lot of the exposure, you know, being at a, a mid-major per se, even though conference, uh, I mean, Mountain West is a pretty 
pretty competitive conference, you know what I mean? We still get the mid-major label. And so I think a lot of those things play a part in some of the things that um, I've been hearing from, you know, a few of the teams that haven't got to see me as much or, you know, and so I think that's where the combine and, you know, being able to play in front of them really helps. But, you know, I get a lot of good feedback. I've talked to, talked to probably every team, but maybe two. Uh, and so I've, you know, I've talked to a few twice. And so, you know, there's some teams that really like me out there. And so, you know, all it takes is one. And now that teams are getting to see you uh, in these taped workouts or whatever, I mean, has the narrative changed? Because, you know, again, it's one thing. First of all, I know how good Mountain West basketball is. So, like, it's not a knock to me. But it's mm -hmm. one thing to obviously see you against a Boise or a San Diego State. But has, that, has the narrative changed? Have you felt like you've been able to prove more these last couple of weeks or anything like that? Um, I think some. I think, um, you know, just talking with, like, my agency and also with, you know, a lot of the NBA resources that I have, um, I think a lot of times that it's hard to, you know, they, they take a lot of it their, you know, very minimum account because you're not playing against these guys or whatnot. But I've been able to do things like, for example, my combine, my combine numbers uh, just from the testing. Uh, I've heard some things from teams who didn't think I was very athletic, you know, just by the way I play. <laughs> So Tell me, give that, me a call. You got my number. So, right. Exactly. No, but I finished, you know, I'm top 10 in every category. And so I think that's, I might be the only person in the draft who did that. And so, you know what I mean? I think that's, you know, just one way that I can correct these, you know, little things that people are saying. And so I think that's been a help. Fantastic. We'll wrap up here. I know I asked you this, but, um, you know, to, to, to kind of recap, at some point, you know, first of all, are you, what do you, how do you think you're going to handle yourself on Wednesday night? I don't know if you want to share what you're doing, but I mean, it, it's, you're not, you know, with no disrespect, you know, you're not Anthony Edwards, you're not LaMelo, you're not going to be off the board right away. So there's going to be a little bit of waiting. How are you mm -hmm. going to kind of handle yourself those first uh, hours or so? Um, I'm, you know, I'm going to have my people with me, my, my family members, you know, everybody who I love close to me, I'm going to have them around. I'm sure we'll have some food or whatnot, you know, just a little gathering, but, um, I'm just, you know what I mean? I'm excited. I'm just ready to be there. I'm going to be locked in. I'm going to be watching it. You know, whoever goes, you know, in front, whoever goes behind or whatnot, it doesn't matter. I'm just excited to be here, man, honestly. And I was going to say to wrap up again, I know I, I asked you earlier, but when when the draft goes, you're going to be somewhere for some team, and, and hopefully those fans track down this interview. Uh, what would you tell the fans of the Pistons or the Hawks or whoever ends up with, with Jalen Harris? What would you tell them uh, about the guy that they're getting for their organization? Um, I tell them that, you know, they're getting somebody who they can trust to come in, who's going to produce, who's going to play hard, who's going to, you know, be enthusiastic and who's going to bring it every day, you know, whatever role that may be, whatever situation it may be, you're going to get somebody who can, who can do a lot of things and who can come in and, you know, who can help the team. And so, um, you know, I mean, just as excited as those guys who are, uh, you know, ready for me to get there. And so, yes, sir, that's it. That's me. They can get buckets too, man. Let me tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, anything, <laughs> anything we haven't hit on, Jalen? Anything that you'd want a fan to know or uh, your experience? Anything, really, mm -hmm. honestly. Uh, no, we touched on about all of it. I got to tell the people how I play. Uh, hopefully, you know, y'all go check it out on YouTube or something. Look up some highlights or whatnot. But, uh, yeah, that's it for me. Jalen Harris, University of Nevada, uh, one of, in my opinion, the most intriguing prospects in this NBA draft, man. It's been a long journey since all this started, uh, but I appreciate your time doing this, man. And honestly, man, best of luck. Don't forget about us little guys when you go big. Hopefully we can have you on uh, after that first successful NBA season, but we're looking forward oh, yeah. to on an NBA court soon. No, most definitely, man. I appreciate you having me on.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.